Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is the XNC Podcast, your Xbox newscast featuring Cold Eastwood, hosting industry interviews and gaming talk live on YouTube every Monday night at 5 p.m. on the West Coast, 8 p.m. on the East Coast. For all of you listening around the world, XNC Podcast is available on demand on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the show. Join the chat, hit the like button, and let's get into this week's topics with the XNC Podcast live. Welcome, everybody, to the show. I'm Cole Eastwood, and I'm here with a couple of special guests. I've been waiting all week to talk about this. I cranked out a couple of YouTube videos, been on a couple of podcasts, but now it's finally my turn to sit down and talk about the Activision Blizzard merger and acquisition. That is a mouthful to say. I'm so excited. I want to thank all of you for showing up to the show. I'm sure you've got a lot of questions for Brad and for Hogue. These guys are industry experts in their own fields. I can't wait to pick their brains and talk about everything that <laughs> Xbox is uh, kind of shook in the gaming world. But I want to introduce uh, someone who I've been watching for a long time. I've been following this person, Brad Sams. I want to welcome back to the XSC podcast. How are you doing, Brad? I am excited to talk about the acquisition of Activision, which I have stumbled over saying 50 times in the past <laughs> yep. week or so. But um, yeah, Microsoft, whenever we think we figured out what they're doing, they come and drop $60, $70 billion on us. <laughs> yeah, on a, on a random Tuesday it was yeah. last week. I, I, was, um, I live in the West Coast, so the news broke for a lot of you guys like at 9 a.m. And you were like up and taking your work and having your bagel and everything. And I was laying in bed and uh, my, 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 my watch was like, bzz, bzz, and I checked my phone and Tim Dog was calling me and Gaz called me from Game On Daily. So I got the RDX guys, the go the go live guys calling me, and I'm like, "What's going on?" And the first thing I saw, Brad, when I pulled down my notifications, was your video. That was the first <laughs> thing I saw, and I'm like, "Holy crap, they've done it!" Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for that. I'm so glad to have Hogue from Hogue's Lava. We'll call him Hogue tonight. He's Hogue. amazing. I've been listening to his channel for probably about a year as nice. I've kind of seen him talk about. Yes, I've been like following as you've talked about. The legality stuff, like the stuff that really dives into uh, how these deals actually come to fruition. Hogue, welcome to the channel. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, for those of you that don't know me, my background is mergers and acquisitions law and venture capital funding. So this is my bailiwick. This is the stuff that's very exciting. And then I just so happen to really love video games. Uh, And so when I started (laughs) my channel a couple of years ago, my wife said to me, I'm not sure you're going to have enough business transactions, enough drama 
to go on from just focusing on the video game industry and business and law. And uh, it's been quite the three years, definitely. Thanks to Microsoft in large part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been so great. I, I was driving my kid to school and I had your video playing that morning and he was probably in the backseat going, oh my gosh, what is he listening to? But I was sure. like, you know, it's uh, it's so I'm so glad to have both of you on the channel and uh, it's going to be a really good uh, time. I want the uh, chat to be ready for questions. There's going to be a lot of stuff we're going to talk about, but I want to kind of get uh, warmed up here. Brad, you're reporting on stuff. You're trying to get the news out as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. You're you got you know eight different arms going in all different ways. But have you taken time to play some video games during this past couple of weeks? Oh yeah. I mean, the problem is is not having enough time. Like I, it's slightly embarrassing. I have not finished Psychonauts two yet. I am like probably eighty percent of the way through it, and then other games drop. Like I really like Forza Horizon Five. Uh, that has been. I've always been a Horizon fan, and then that dropped mm-hmm. and phenomenal, just a nice casual title. And then, then sometimes I just jump into Flight Sim or even Call of Duty Warzone. And it's the problem is is that I need to be able to pause some, just pause some time because there's more titles coming out, even starting what next month that we're gonna start getting new IP again, and it's mm-hmm. it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, there's way too much. What about you, Hogue? What has uh, been your video game a guilty pleasure lately? Well, you know, I've had a very busy week, uh, obviously, and, you know, I, I, doing the law firm thing and the, and the commentary thing. Uh, but I really have enjoyed this weekend getting a chance to play Rainbow Six Extraction and mm-hmm. Nobody Saves the World, both on Oh, Game yeah. Pass. Which are on Game Pass. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, in yeah. between football games, which was a really big weekend. I love football. Fantastic games this weekend. Uh, I have uh, been getting to play Extraction with my brother. Uh, and I think... Like so many things that you set your expectations low on, I really didn't have any expectations for extraction. It's been pleasantly uh, surprising yeah. that it's it's yeah. been as enjoyable and interactive as it has been. And then I just adore Nobody Saves the World. I think that's a fantastic game, and I've really enjoyed playing it. Oh my gosh, I was I played the demo, but once I unlocked the horse yep. and I was back kicking enemies, I'm like, yep. yeah, yeah, this is a this is a really satisfying game. Of course, they made Guacamelee and Guacamelee too, so check that out. It's on Game Pass, but that's not a Game Pass commercial. We're just talking about what we're playing. <laughs> Those literally are what I've been playing, and it was nice yeah. that there wasn't an additional fee to enter. Definitely, I will throw yeah. one title out there that I have played that is not in Game Pass, but I highly recommend it. And everyone's gonna laugh because it's great with kids. It's called Cat Quest. It is sure. made. Um, okay, I can't remember who makes it now? But it's a it's a cat. I'm not even kidding. A cat based RPG. There's two of them. If you have a Tesla, you can play it in there. My kid and I started playing it in there, and then Cat <laughs> Quest Two <laughs> is on Xbox. And so we played the whole thing over Christmas break. And it is it's a brilliant game. If you have my daughter's eight, somewhere between I would say like six and ten, it's a great way to get them into an RPG. Anybody that loves puns. Yeah. You will not yes, believe the number yes. of cat puns in those games. It's a, yes. it's, a, it's a good title, definitely. That is a surreal experience to play a Game Pass title in a Tesla. You are truly <laughs> in the future. But, um, you know, sometimes some of the stuff that goes on in the gaming world feels like we are stuck in the, uh, in the dark ages. I, I wanted to kind of warm up with this topic this morning. I actually started last night. Uh, Aaron Greenberg posted a fan-made pick from Ben, who is in the community. He's like, excellent excellent graphic designer i'm a graphic designer i've been doing it for like 15 years and when i see his work i mean he makes me feel about this big but he made this uh crash bandicoot doing the xbox x symbol and aaron greenberg likes to share these fan made things and he uses them and it's kind of like a marketing thing and and uh the playstation fans really got upset i gotta ask you hoag did you see this craze of xbox fans you know making their own version of this picture on social media 
So, you know, I, I've got my channel. We talk about law. We talk about copyright, trademark, intellectual property a lot. So I don't always see the the mob. I don't always see the anger directly. But what I do get is DMs and messages about, oh, is this allowed? Uh, is can, can this happen? And, you know, I, I have I have light conversations when I'm working and, and doing other things in, in DMs. Be like, well, I don't I don't know what kind of problem that would be. So I have to admit. I have not seen the primary wave that everyone appears to be talking about. I've seen kind of the secondary effects, the aftershocks uh, of that. And, and I, okay. I, I, can, I can feel pretty confident in saying that for the most part, using an avatar on social media, you know, you're, you're probably in very, very light ways infringing on somebody's ownership of something. Uh, nobody's ever going to come after you for any of this stuff. And when we're talking about a marketing guy for a company that, has at least declared its intention to spend $70 billion to buy that particular intellectual property. It's unlikely that that's going to cause long-term problems. Yes. Yeah. I mean, well, it sort of does in its own way, but not like the way legally that you'd see with it when your vocation, but I'll ask Brad because, you know, PlayStation built Crash Bandicoot and had the the IP for about a dozen years. Mm -hmm. And now Activision's had it for just a bit longer, about 14 years. So did you see this, Brad, where they were mad that an Xbox executive was repping the PlayStation, the the ex-PlayStation mascot? You know, I think people just kind of need to calm down just a little bit. I mean, at the end of the day, these are people who are excited. And to Hoag's point, Microsoft has come out and said, hey, we are going to be, as long as we clear the hurdles of regulatory, you know, locally and abroad, we are going to own this company. Of course, they're going to come out and be excited about it. Let me put it this way. If they were not excited about owning this IP, that would be a tragedy because Phil Spencer walked into Satya Nadella's office and said, hey, I want to spend half the cash in the bank. And if they're not excited about that, I, I don't know what else you could do. I don't think it was a diss at PlayStation. If you watch any of these Xbox executives, they will actively tweet about, hey, like, I've got a PlayStation at home. They're just fans of the games in general. And I don't really think it was malicious at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I, there was like, there was a trigger warning, I suppose, for some certain people because xbox guys were making their own version uh mm-hmm. putting their avatar on over greenberg's face so that they could be with crash bandicoot and, and it was a you know stop it that's a playstation thing uh i think it's nonsense and we're going to get into the show a little bit later about the ips sure. the franchises that belong to activision that's going to be a long discussion but um there is one new xbox rumor uh that isn't related to activision but xbox era thinks that there will be a new collection i guess they're calling it like a master collection of an xbox established ip like the master chief collection like a collection of all of the games in the trilogy or whatever like maybe gears one through five in one collection have you guys heard of this i've heard the rumor and i think there is validity to it i don't the, the problem with a lot of this stuff is is gears a master chief collection let's be honest it's really just sort of like a marketing bundle that they put together and say here's a whole bunch of ip that goes out together Uh, Mm -hmm. microsoft is now has quite the collection especially when you consider that they now own bethesda they could do this multiple ways and i know that they have at least considered it with gears based on the success that master chief collection eventually reached especially you can't you a lot of people when they hear these collections they think xbox like the console on you know sitting under your tv don't forget about the PC. That's all. I mean, you gotta, you can't forget about the PC and how well uh, Halo has done over there as well. I'm, yeah, I can't remember 
which of the Gears games made it to PC, and I think not all of them did. I don't know if you're like a an aficionado of Gears, Hogue, but uh, have you looked? Have you thought about this? Even if you're hearing it just now, have you thought about? Yeah, this is news to me. I mean, I I, I will say. I don't think I would describe myself as an aficionado of Gears. I played the first three, uh, liked them fine. Uh, didn't really jump out at me as like historical. So I get mm-hmm. Gears I, I see from afar, no problem with it, uh, but not really anything I'm, I'm super excited about. But it makes a lot of sense from a business perspective. If you're Microsoft, you're collecting all of these assets over three years to think about how to bundle them. And also an important part of the story is, is how to, kind of do different ways to try to bundle them and see what works best on Game Pass, see how it organizes best over there, how it organizes best selling it direct on PC or otherwise. And there's going to be a lot of AB kind of testing because all of this, even though it kind of feels like it's the world we live in with Game Pass now and whatnot, Mm -hmm. is new. They're Mm -hmm. still working out model templates. They're still working out how to deal with developers over long-term deals. They're still working out how to sell games and DLC with that Game Pass service at the same time. So expect Microsoft to start figuring out bundles and trying different things, even with things that might otherwise look similar. So a a Gears bundle could exist and be somewhat different operationally in some manner that we're not thinking of from what the Master Chief bundle was. Yeah, that's it's really I'm so glad you said that, because when I think of the Master Chief bundle, it was like even at its time. Uh, even with it broken on matchmaking at the yeah. time, it was an incredible value. It was sixty dollars. Mm-hmm. It was four full, uh, three, <laughs> four full games. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, yeah. four full games. It just uh, got all added of two. I don't know what. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when it launched, it was like most of the maps across all the multiplayer. Right. It was all four games. Uh, two of them were basically remastered, um, and it was really great value. But thinking of it logically, gears already exists because you guys made both great points about game pass uh and then the consoles like if you have an xbox series s or x you already have essentially the remastered version with fps boost and they've mm-hmm. been up resed um and they're all on game pass every single one one two three judgment four and five right, right. they're right. all on game pass so I, I scratch my head when you're talking i'm like do you really need this but when you both brought up that they have another audience on pc and with a bundle being such a great pick at a low price they can get people in on the ground uh i think it's pretty possible i don't know what other ip they'd be doing but let me grab some super chats uh i i have to give a shout out to uh, over 700 people who are checking out the xnc podcast if you just jumped in and uh you can see i've got brad sams here and hogue from Hoag's Law, and we're going to talk all about Activision Blizzard. We're going to break down the details, and uh, we're going to have some fun while we do that because uh, that's what we like about Brad and Hoag. They have their YouTube channels. They cover the quick news, and they cover the, the in-depth stuff, and they always make it interesting. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you, Hargit Chani, with the $5 Super. He says, the only BS in this podcast is Brad, Sams, and the legend, <laughs> Hoag. Looking forward to the discussion. All right, thank you so much, Hargit. It's great friend and a supporter joel williams with the australian five thank you he says woohoo first time i get to watch live Uh, it's probably about noon over there in australia's (laughs) the next day he says perth timing sucks i watch all the content you drop it's all fire thank you so much joel doobie with the two dollars says some of the smartest dudes great podcast ahead brad and ho do you think they're including me as this one of the smart dudes in that i mean bare minimum (laughs) you brought us in right (laughs) Uh, and then we got uh, Isma Easy with the uh, Canadian Five says, "Can I dream, Colt? Can I dream of an older, over-the-shoulder Warcraft RPG or a comeback 
of the RTS StarCraft. Man, the possibilities are insane. And I am putting out a video very soon about those franchises, and we'll get into those really soon here. But uh, one more piece of uh, middling console gaming news is that uh, numbers came out from VGCHAR2. Guestimate, and they take official numbers, and they do a little bit of work here and there under the behind the scenes and under the hood. They say the PlayStation 5 is at 18 million sold, and Xbox Series S and X are just over 12. Brad, you've been following the sales trajectory. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about those reported numbers from VG Charts? They feel they don't feel outrageous. Like the the I don't pay so much attention. I mean, the the raw number units is one thing. Like I definitely pay attention to those. But mm-hmm. before this generation launched, I, I made a really clear point that last generation, the Xbox One and the PlayStation Four, it was widely believed and considered that at the end of the life, it was about a 50% Xbox sales to PlayStation. So for every one Xbox sold, two PlayStations were sold. So if that gap closes at all, that means Microsoft has done out has outperformed their last generation. And so when you say those numbers, the first thing I do is, okay, if PlayStation is at 18, then if they have more than nine, then they are outperforming their previous generation. But the problem we have right now in the industry as a whole is there are so many caveats on that because we all know you can't get chips right now. And so does that mean, but there's two ways to that. It could go. Does that mean that they would have sold more PlayStations? Probably. Would they have sold more Xboxes? Probably. But we don't know what the real constraints are in the economics of the chip supply but when I hear those numbers, I always, you know, look at that 50% ratio and see is Microsoft trending above last generation or below. And right now it seems like they're pretty healthily ahead of last generation. Yeah, that's, uh, that is an interesting point about if they could make more chips, if they could get out more consoles. We don't know who is producing more out the door mm-hmm. than the other. But Hogue, if you followed some of these, uh, the silicon shortages sure. and the supply constraints, right? What do you? What is your opinion, or what do you think is going on, like worldwide? Like, is PlayStation sending a lot of their stock in certain locations, or what? What do you think is happening with the Xbox versus PS Five console sale thing? As best as anyone can tell, basically everything that these two companies are making is selling, and and, and Nintendo, to be fair as well. The, the mm-hmm. three the three companies are selling basically everything that they're making. So when yep. we look at this from an analysis standpoint, I've I've frankly been basically standoffish on the direct number analytics and those kind of data analysts for sales of units and boxes just because of those constraints. I don't think you can have eyeballs on popularity, Q score, whatever you want to call it with Xbox and PlayStation because every box is selling. Um, And we don't know exactly how those pipelines are working, how they're going to work in 2022. There was a tweet out this evening about someone estimating what the sales would be through 2022. And all I said was, I don't envy analysts on this yeah. because essentially you're guessing <laughs> yeah. boats in ports and manufacturing in, in various countries and logistics. And, and that isn't usually what they do. Usually they're looking at it and saying, okay, there's boxes on shelves, who's buying and who's not. Mm-hmm. So I, I look at that from that perspective. The other thing I would say is this generation is one where Xbox isn't necessarily competing specifically on plastic boxes under televisions. Right. Uh, Game Pass as a recurring revenue software service is something new for really the industry. Uh, And so when you look at those numbers, it's never going to be as clean as saying 
Xbox is winning, Xbox is losing, Sony's winning, Sony's losing, because the thing to keep your eye on when you're watching Microsoft and analysis there is that user acquisition for Game Pass model. And they announced 25 million. It's undoubtedly the case that their growth is exactly where they want it to be. Keeping mm-hmm. that up is the game for them. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it is crazy because um, if the even if there was a supply constraint, I think Brad's right, and you're right, that there would be a that ratio would be about the same. Uh, there's a couple things that Xbox as a console has going against them. And one thing is that all their games are on PC. So there is a certain amount of people that don't need to buy the console, but yeah. uh, they're also not in it. They're not also not in a sales situation where they were with the Xbox one, where basically the media and all of, all of your peer friends were saying, no, nah, don't, don't buy an Xbox one. So um, Phil Spencer said recently that they've been able to meet to demand uh they're almost able to meet demand is kind of how he said it but supply is still constrained so yeah they've been able to get lots of consoles out to lots of people and um i guess that's why you see series s is in the store sometimes but yeah i think they're in a good spot we got yeah, I mean, uh, I think even even before their buying binge i think they had improved I, I have to be honest with you i didn't love their last generation i, I didn't love yeah. the one approach or philosophy i still got one because i'm platform agnostic i like playing everything everywhere that's that's what i like to do uh but I wasn't thrilled with it. Wasn't thrilled with connecting the box. And I think this generation is a massive improvement. I mean, I do. Yeah. So I'm, I'm more happy to be an Xbox owner this generation than I was last generation. There's no question. I'm looking yeah, there's... at the last gen Xboxes right now. <laughs> like, they're oh, all you are? Over. Like, I've got one here. Yeah. I think there's, uh, well, you can't see there's one there. Like, this You're is just hurtling ones one. across the room? What's that? <laughs> You're just throwing ones across the room? Yeah. Well, I had three of them, and right now I have <laughs> I only have one X. I'll eventually get another one. But yeah, I ended up I was as you said, I didn't like last generation. I was like, I don't know if I did. And then I look around and there's just just <laughs> bodies of well, the old in ones. In fairness, I think I have two ones myself. So you know, yeah. like is a matter of relativity. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I've got three of them in my house. I've got two three sixties. Uh, we have to keep a 360 around so we can play rock band every year. We play it like a, a, during a New Year's Eve time. So did you see yeah, it's, it's kind of embarrassing? Funny, it's funny you bring that up. Uh, I have a friend and he this was publicly tweeted, so I'm going to share this. But there was an issue with rock band on Xbox 360 with if you have all the peripherals hooked up to it, that they had an issue where it was consuming so much bandwidth, they actually had to make uh, concessions on other parts of performance of Xbox 360 specifically because of really? Rock Band. For the OS? <laughs> yeah. because Yeah, because when we play, we've got, sometimes we'll have two, two mics hooked up and we'll have a guitar and a bass and the drums. Yeah, and the whole thing's like... Yep. <laughs> I think it was on Connect when they had, because it didn't have Connect integration too at one point. Um, yeah. I did it. <laughs> but I can't remember, but I definitely remember him talking about USB bandwidth was an issue on the 360, specifically with Rock Band, because you could hook everything up to it. Oh, my so, gosh. Side note. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's so funny because um, people are asking about Guitar Hero coming back from Activ- Activision, which we'll get into. Let's kind of get into that right now. I want to sure. start with Hogue asking him, um, I guess this is kind of how this will break the ice, but the very first reaction to the Activision Blizzard acquisition and merger, I think I said it right, was <laughs> that the Department of Justice, the FTC, or the SEC needs to be involved. Ho, can you give us a uh, quick rundown of what the FTC and what the SEC and the DOJ are for the people who don't watch uh, Suits and shows like that? <laughs> yeah. 
Sure. I love or suits. virtual legality, as it turns out. Yeah. Absolutely. And virtually yeah. legality on YouTube, baby. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely fine. So uh, the SEC won't be involved. Uh, they're in charge of stocks. That's the Securities and Exchange Commission. They're, they're out. Beautiful. Put them to the side. They're not going to get involved in this. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, you're probably more familiar with for policing, false advertising, occasionally getting into a brouhaha with uh, Twitch or YouTube, that kind of thing. But they also police general commerce uh, in the United States. The Department of Justice, you're probably even more familiar with. You know, they, they put mobsters in jail. They do other things from a federal legal perspective. But basically what happens is, like we saw this past week, when you've got a big transaction, you sign a definitive agreement. Very important note for your audience and every other audience. Activision is not owned by Xbox as we have this conversation right now. That definitive agreement says the two parties have agreed to spend the money that's being reported on, and then they have to jump through some hoops. One of those hoops is that the parties submit the documentation regarding their transaction to the federal government. Then the FTC and the DOJ decide who's going to look at it. Rumors are that the FTC is the one that's going to be in charge of this, but there's still rumors. Uh, and mm -hmm. that agency has a small window of time to look at things and determine whether they think this transaction could either monopolize a market or, and this is important, substantially lessen competition, which is another amorphous standard. The antitrust mm -hmm. laws are known for that kind of thing. At well, the end of me, that window, oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 I got I to ask. So jump in. When you're <laughs> no, 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 no. It's perfect. But I got to <laughs> ask. Uh, it just kind of, uh, Brad and I are kind of like, while you're talking, we're like, wow right yeah, no, I, uh, I no it's awesome it no yeah. no no it's it's so concise but i had to ask a question that sure. that came up in my mind while you're talking like what sets off a purchase like this like what is the threshold because you know if xbox decides to like is it a dollar amount is it okay. um what 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 is so, it that where the doj the doj has to be involved or the ftc sure so i'll tell you that this is this is what we call the Hart Scott Rodino Act. We name our acts after congressional people, so they get their names in there. So we talk about them for a couple of decades. Hart Scott Rodino says, if your deal is under a certain size, we don't even look at it. But if it gets big enough, we're interested in it. Do you have any guesses as to what that number is where they start to get interested in terms of dollar amount? <laughs> oh no, um, ten. Mm. <laughs> two billion i don't know <laughs> Bad, uh, no, I, you I, guess. I, was just, I was just wondering no it's about a hundred million dollars it, it's yeah. on a scale oh, okay. that the okay. federal government kind of raises to go along with inflation and things like that uh but it's it's just under a hundred million it's in the 90s at this point in time as you can imagine we're well i mean they couldn't do a that. thing like when you sell a car to a buddy and say yeah i gave it to him as a gift so he doesn't have to pay taxes right well and you can <laughs> in that case the irs starts to care about things as they get bigger right and there's another there's group that comes there. in here, the FTC and the DOJ care about things that are bigger because they have a, a higher likelihood of impacting the market, commerce, however you want to describe what it is that they do, and they're political animals, uh, right? So after that window, we talked about that first window, right? They get the uh -huh. documentation. They have about 30 days to say, hmm, we're not sure, or they just let that time expire and the deal- When's that 30 alive. days, like from intent, which is- it, it's So if you go and you look at the merger agreement right now, you'll mm -hmm. see a- don't read this because it's like a page long. It's full legalese. But there's a paragraph that says basically the two parties agree to put the information together in the documents and send them to the federal government and work with each other to get this thing approved. That happens as soon as possible, as soon as their lawyers and their business folks can get all that information put together after that deal was signed. Deal signed last Tuesday. 
probably already a package put together for the FTC and the DOJ. They then have a month to decide whether they're going to say anything at all or nothing. If they say nothing, Mm -hmm. deals allowed, doesn't mean it's approved. Another point for your audience, the FTC and the DOJ can turn around in five years and sue over the deal that otherwise was allowed. We're seeing that with Facebook right now. Mm -hmm. But more Uh likely than not in this circumstance, that 30-day window is not allowed to expire because the FTC and the DOJ have an option. Don't have to block the deal. Don't have to do anything major. They can say, we want more info. We want a second look. And they can then start to request documents and information and interviews mm-hmm. and all this stuff from the parties in question. At a $70 billion level for an industry that's never seen anything like this, I think it's reasonable to assume this is going to be a second look transaction. At that point in time, the timeline gets massively extended because they can continue to ask for information. And until they're satisfied that they've received enough information from the parties, their second window doesn't start. When they get that information, they get another 30 days where they can decide to block it. Or as we think about other transactions like Fox Disney, which a number of people have brought up to me, they can ask for concessions. They can ask for changes. They can ask for divestitures where you don't buy exactly everything that you just said. You move things to third parties or you otherwise agree to do something. We're seeing this with ARM and NVIDIA right now, where uh, you have NVIDIA trying to promise the FTC they're not going to do anything bad with CPUs. And the FTC is telling them, we don't believe you. But that process Jeez. is ongoing. And, and the FTC is blocking that deal as, as we speak today. It can change in two minutes. Um, but that's, that's the process that happens. And the reason folks should be more concerned than just saying, hey, Fox went through, there's no issue, is that Microsoft is a tech giant. They are a $2 trillion company. And as of this moment, we're in an environment where both the Biden administration and those two regulatory agencies have signaled that they want to be more aggressive about antitrust enforcement. Doesn't mean anything's going to happen to the deal. I still think it's more likely than not to go through. But it does mean there's a non-zero chance of a regulator deciding, hey, Microsoft's the top line party. We got the executive talking about digital marketplaces and concern about cloud infrastructure and data privacy, maybe we start making hay on some kind of transaction like this one. Okay. Um, well, that's that's promising to hear. Uh, yeah. The reason why we're kind of opening up talking about the DOJ and antitrust laws, and we'll, we'll get into that some more. I got to ask Brad Sams about uh, how this was received because the very first reaction from a couple of big games industry journalists was that uh, the that someone needs to step in. There's an antitrust mm-hmm. situation here with Activision and Xbox. Brad, I got to ask you about how these reactions came from people who are very repellent about Xbox buying Activision and just spending their money. Well, so what happened for you? Reaction of, of fear, right? If you're mm-hmm. if you are non if you're a non Xbox gamer, a non Microsoft user, and you see Microsoft coming in grabbing, let's be honest, some of the top named IPs in the industry, of the natural reaction here is going to be to to clam up and be like, "Look, they can't allow this to happen." But when you dig when you dig into the actual numbers that are getting thrown around here, I think there's actually a pretty probable chance that Microsoft can get this through unless there's somebody in the administration who just absolutely hates Microsoft. The reason for that is, is when yeah. they are combined, when they if they absorb Activision from what we know right now, they would only be the third largest gaming company out there. They would not even be in the top two. There would be, I believe it's Sony and Tencent are going to be in the top two. So 
what is other than the fact the the biggest thing Microsoft has working against them, honestly, is that they're Microsoft in that they are so sure. big, but they're not a monopoly in the desktop space like they used to be. They're not a monopoly in the browser space or in the product productivity space. They're That's just true. Yeah, they're just big and when a big entity goes and uses a bunch of its money to go buy another big entity people get nervous but at the end of the day xbox won't even be in the top two positions in the industry and i think that's the big thing that they have going for them and the fact that the companies like ea still exist independently there's also rockstar out there there's a bunch of other studios so yeah it's scary from a lot of a journalist perspective because it's like wow they're going to own all these titles but from a purely business line perspective they're not they're not owning the market yet yeah i know i i think of um I'm I'm old school, but I think of like the Transformers, uh, the the Destructicon. I think his name was like it was the, where he, all the Decepticons would pile together and make a big robot. And you know when Microsoft buys Activision Blizzard, they get bigger, and then they go and they look and they say, oh, for eight billion, we can get Ubisoft. That would be huge. And yeah. then they become a force that couldn't be stopped. And that's what worries uh, either PlayStation fans or uh, journalists who maybe don't care for Xbox, but don't want Microsoft just flex big money. Um, when you talk about, you're both talking about monopolies or how this isn't a monopoly, we should get into that as well because there are big publishers. Like you said, Take-Two who own Rockstar and EA and Ubisoft are gigantic. And uh, I think there are probably 10 or a dozen major publishers that Xbox doesn't own. So I don't... I don't know, Hogue, what do you think about this? When people yeah. throw the word around Monopoly, are they are they close? Are they missing something? Well, there's a couple things happening here, right? So one of the things that you heard with Brad's answer, which was great, is an assumption about the denominator. And it's a valid assumption. It's the assumption that you would hope the FTC or the DOJ would make, which is that we're talking about the gaming industry on the whole, right? And if you look at the gaming industry as the denominator, the size of your marketplace, then Microsoft shouldn't have a problem justifying a transaction of this type, especially if you take all of gaming, right? Because mm -hmm. the mobile gaming is a huge portion of revenue. Microsoft really doesn't have a place at the table before they purchase King uh, in that space. And, and people forget how big that is for the overall gaming landscape. But yeah. when we talk about monopolies, when we talk about lessening competition, the very first thing, and the thing that really honestly determines a lot of these cases or distinctions or FTC actions or what have you, is, is what that marketplace is set at. Uh, and, and if somebody looks at this and says, well, Maybe we want to have a conversation about recurring revenue subscription services for games. Then, then when we talk about monopoly, when we talk about percentage of market concentration, and we talk about what Microsoft is doing and why, and you saw in their press statements, I don't even know how many times they reference Game Pass and populating with content and moving Activision games over there and things like that. You could, if you're a motivated FTC regulator, say, well, we might have a problem here with that specific market. And the FTC and the DOJ is fully within their power, given to it by Congress and these laws to determine what the affected market is. So you see this in other actions where they talk about more minor markets than gaming or more minor markets than social media when they're doing these things like trying to unwind the Facebook acquisition of WhatsApp. So it is a possibility. I think certainly Microsoft will argue that gaming is the right denominator and is the right marketplace for that. But remember, when I was when I was giving my short form law school class, it's not just monopoly, which is the big ticket item. It's the one people know. It's anything that substantially lessens competition as determined 
by that regulatory authority. So the politics of the day, the environment that we're talking about is a part of that story. And Microsoft, for what it's worth, people come into my social media and say, they've got a thousand lawyers and a million dollars and all this stuff. Yeah. They would have looked at this stuff. The answer to that is 100% they would have. They would have had memos drawn up. They would have had probably calls with DOJ and that kind of thing. They're that big. Lawyers can't make guarantees on this kind of stuff. What we're talking about lives in the head of a regulator 3,000 miles away. Mm -hmm. And so you can give mm -hmm. percentages. You can say things are likely to be fine, which is what I'm telling you right now. I think they are likely to be fine. But you don't know what you don't know. And it's worth noting that the environment is much more aggressively pro-antitrust enforcement than it was even six months ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I got I got to ask you a question about that one regular, but le let me remind everybody, this is the XNC Podcast. I'm Cold Eastwood, and I'm here with Brad Sams and Hoaglom. We're talking about the Activision Blizzard merger. Oh, my gosh. That is, <laughs> I would love to say that right once, but we are talking. Yes, uh, I'm we always going to fumble that. First triangular merger. By the time we're done with this episode, we'll get it done. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we're talking about the ins and outs of what's going on. We're going to talk about some of the uh, spicy parts of what's going on with this merger and some of the future plans. Uh, I want to thank over 1,300 people who are here live nice. listening to Brad Hogue and I talk about this information. The chat's a light. There's great friends that are here that are listening and helping power the show. We really appreciate it. Shout out to Underachiever and Happy Bomb for modding the uh, chat. Uh, keep language to a minimum. You guys are actually fantastic. <laughs> I've been trying to keep an eye on it while I'm listening to these two gentlemen. So uh, thank you so much for Sending your uh, questions. I've got a couple here. I've got one from Brian Lynch. Thanks for the ten dollars. He says, "Is it possible that Call of Duty under Microsoft is current gen only, which wipes out any previous Sony player install base?" I do want to talk about Call of Duty. Um, yeah, I'm going to kind of have to take these as they Phil go. Spencer tweets, right? We get to, Let's, we get to yes. talk about every word of a tweet. It's always a good absolutely. Time. Absolutely. Um, do you guys <laughs> do you guys have Phil's tweet memorized by now? Uh, uh, I want to start with Brad. I want to give Brad a second on this one. In large letters, the word desire. The it's the desi job done. The desire of Phil exactly. Spencer. Yeah, so Brad, I got to ask you. Um, I was at lunch with my brother. It's like, you know where you are when, you know, when something t happened. And yep. I was at lunch with my brother when, uh, when uh, Phil Spencer put that tweet out. So everybody's wondering what he meant. And uh, give us your take on what's going on with Phil's tweet there. Well, let's, I think we can there has to be an underlying agreement. There's no way that Microsoft would acquire Activision and day one, just rip it off a of PlayStation one that that narrative was never really going to happen. First of all, there's so much money to be made. You, what people love to get tied up into the Xbox versus PlayStation narrative. You got to remember that Microsoft is telling its shareholders that they are justified in spending $70 billion to, to acquire this asset. And if the first thing they do is kneecap the revenue from this new IP, that is insane for an acquisition of this size. And there's kneecap no, meaning pull it, you know, not release on PlayStation anymore. Correct. What I mean, the cool. reality is my, I mean, Phil Spencer, you know, says, Hey, I've talked to Sony, like calm them down. I don't think there was really too much in it. I realistically think that was done just to kind of quiet the nerves of the audience. If there is really going to be... Wait, 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 hold on. Was was that tweet for the community or was that tweet for the media? 
I think I think it was both. I mean, he knew that by tweeting that out, he was going to get tons of, of positive press headlines. Like, who wouldn't? If you're an, if you're in Xbox marketing, it's like Phil said he called Sony. They had a nice conversation. They yeah, shared it's... pleasantries. Like, it's going to go crazy. That's going to go out there. I think the only big thing that is going to potentially change on the Call of Duty side is currently the PlayStation typically has like a timed exclusive sometimes on maps or weapons or whatever. I bet that comes to an end and that sure. those exclusive features more than likely probably end up in game pass in some capacity mm, okay all right Hogue, uh you've poured over this tweet there's a I lot did. to be interpreted right I, it's one of those things right on this yeah no i got to tweet out this week i said hey if but, you're more cynical on them, what, what this means than i am you're more cynical than a corporate lawyer and i want you to think about that <laughs> but, i mean it's not so much a legal tweet it's more like a uh you know a public relations oh, corporate messaging right? we'll corporate speak so right you're giving, me, you're giving me pitch openings here this is what we do in virtual legality yeah, baby. messaging and pr and how the how those interact with law absolutely we do thank all you all right give it give <laughs> us your give us your reaction you know in the moment yeah and no, then, absolutely. of course hogue had to sit back and go wait a minute yeah no i was very positive about this and for a couple of reasons one the third audience you didn't mention, in addition to the media and the community, is the regulators. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about oh, an environment right now where you can expect everything that Xbox says to be going through the filter of, we're white knights, we're good guys, you don't need to worry about us, this is all going to be fine. You saw Phil Spencer also at the same time talk about the fact, we're not even worried about Sony and Nintendo, we're all in the same boat, we love gaming. You know who we're worried about? We're worried about Amazon, we're worried about Google, mm -hmm. we're worried about what you politicians are worried about. Who are your enemies? We're worried about them. And that's what Phil Spencer is saying to those regulators. And so you look at this and it's more positive and it's more specific, even though there's still ambiguities like there are in any tweet, mm -hmm. than what was happening when ZeniMax was purchased, right? I, I accused Microsoft of essentially muddling their message, kind of tripping over their own feet and explaining what was happening when that deal went down. Yeah, I months before Bethesda, sure. in there. I think this was yeah. a little bit more specific. And I think the people that want to look at that and say, well, maybe he means something else, aren't quite giving it enough credit. He says desire. It's a future-looking statement, what we would call forward-looking if we're looking at SEC documents or something like that, which means he can't commit Sony to any specific transaction. And yes, he will use his leverage to try to get a deal that works for him. But what he has committed to optically to the communities of both Xbox and PlayStation is that they want to get this done. So if it doesn't, something fell through. And then a blame game will happen. So there is a certain amount of psychosocial commitment to this kind of transaction. And I think that's important because turning around on that, immediately ripping Call of Duty off of PlayStation after the transaction closes, gets a second look from regulators, gets a second look from the community, talks about why that happened. So I think you can read it and say, yes, it's forward looking and it has to be because they can't commit to contracts they haven't entered into yet in 2024 or whatever. but it is important because Phil Spencer and Xbox didn't have to say that in this environment, yes. mm -hmm. and they did anyway. Yeah, I, I want to ask you, Hogue, about the rights. But first, sure. I want to... So remind me, if so I don't forget, but I got to ask Brad about the specifics of the tweet calling out Call of Duty. Like, he could have said, uh, you know, some franchises or some games, or he's very specific. Like, he was, his message was going out about Call of Duty. So, Brad... Why did Phil have to like single out Call of Duty? For, there's obvious reasons, I suppose, but give us your take on why he singled out saying 
we desire. I'm going to read the tweet here. He said, yeah, that'd be, yeah. had good calls this week with the leaders at Sony. I confirmed our intent to honor all existing agreements upon acquisition of Activision Blizzard and our desire to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation. Sony is an important part of our industry and we value our relationship. I think... Call of who Duty. did he call first, Brad? Tell tell the audience who you think Phil was on the phone with. Oh, it's on, his, on his red phone or green phone. I, I would I, well, when, when I heard he was on the phone, I was like, man, do people really call it? Like, I imagine like it's just in the group chat. He's just like, guys, don't worry about this. I got it. Like, and then <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I imagine. I I can't imagine he's sitting back on his desk, like feet up, just like hey! yeah, I like, can imagine it. He's got the corded phone. And he's it's like funny. I Jimbo. mean, the one thing the lawyer would add to this <laughs> is that there is usefulness to talking, yes. not slacking or emailing or texting or having any kind of record. Down. So ah, I, I, I will throw that out there that phone calls maybe happen more than you think because they're a little bit more. Then they're not written. Okay, yeah, so let's really know that when he answers, like this call is being recorded for quality assurance. Please hold yeah. while we connect you either to Jim Ryan's <laughs> office. Like, <laughs> and then he goes, "Is this a secure line?" <laughs> so so why why the call of duty brad uh because it's such a massive massive title and it has such mm. a very like i play call of duty almost every day actually i play with a group of guys um quite frequently and it's such a massive title that i i've also honestly wondered like if call of duty was its own company how much money they would actually be making um they're that big like it's a standalone entity a standalone franchise and it's such a cornerstone of gaming. Like we all know every roughly in November, there's going to be a Call of Duty comes out for the past X number of years. It's been a billion dollar franchise every year. And so it's such an important part of the gaming community. I think that's why he explicitly called it out because that's where a lot of people go is like, hey, they've got this massive multiplayer game called Warzone. They've got the actual multiplayer itself in Vanguard and all the other titles. And if you're going to pick a title out of their catalog that's going to say, hey, we're we're not going to rip this away, I think Call of Duty makes the most sense because of the community. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So the question I've been dying to ask Hogue is, there are 18 months, maybe a year, there are at least 18 months from signing mm -hmm. this deal. What right or legality does Phil have to talk about future plans with a company he does not own yet? Where does that yeah. go? So I, I've gotten some feedback on this. It's pretty interesting. You know, they've entered into a definitive agreement. They've got a press release out there. Uh, there's very limited issue with him talking about any of these kinds of future plans, other than as a lawyer, if you're if you're vetting comments that are going to go out on like that tweet, which is obviously going to be reviewed by a billion people, you don't want to make commitments that you can't make, right? You you mm -hmm. can't promise. You can't have Phil Spencer go out there and say. I assure you Call of Duty will be on PlayStation because that's a future contract. That's mm -hmm. what does that 70-30 split look like? Are we going to leverage anything else? We're two different participants in the marketplace. I can't pledge that in the future. But what I can say is that's what our desire is. Remember that the environment of even that tweet was Wall Street Journal quotes and things coming from Sony saying, oh, we're, 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 we're not worried about this because we're sure Xbox is going to do the right thing. I mean, that, that kind of mentality. Yeah. And we saw from SEC uh, Edgar filings, which I guess is where the SEC does come into it, where a public company files documents with the government that emails had been going out from Activision Blizzard to its partners saying we intend to maintain our contractual relations. So I think one important part of that tweet, and I think people miss it a little bit, is that middle sentence where all the meat lives 
is two different commitments. It's not the same commitment. There's an and in the middle of that sentence. It's we're going to meet our Uh contracts and we desire to keep Call of Duty on the platform. So meet our contracts goes exactly with how we saw Xbox deal with ZeniMax and specifically Deathloop, right? And that means whatever paperwork was in place at the company we just bought, we're going to honor. And there's other strategies that you can take. The reason they're telling this to their business partners is you have concepts called efficient breach. You can have a liquidation provision that says, hey, if we pull back death loop, we might get a better ROI. We'll do that. We'll pay the damages, that kind of thing. And Microsoft has specifically taken the task whenever they've done this to say, no, no, all paperwork stays. And yeah, go ahead. To re-examine after that. So that's what that first commitment is. That's what those emails are that you saw. They say, All paperwork stays. Whatever the Call of Duty exclusive deal is right now with Sony, however long it goes, it's staying until it's done. And then we hope Call of Duty stays on Sony. We'll see what that negotiation looks like. You know, it's pity if you were to lose it, Sony, says Phil Spencer as he walks in. (laughs) That kind of thing can happen. Yeah. But those are two different commitments. Uh, People have said, well, they just mean the contracts. They know that and was placed by a lawyer. That is a very specific way to frame that middle sentence. Uh, and those are two different concepts that are presented in the one idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. I for, totally forgot what I was going to ask you because you had me laughing, but um, uh, I got to ask Brad, I think if I could, oh my gosh, I'm trying to get it back. Um, so one of the situations I want to ask you about, you talked about in your video on Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, Hogue, you talked about somebody coming in and trying to buy something out for me under act. Yes. I want to get yeah. that in, a, in just a moment, but I want to ask Brad, like um, what now got it. <laughs> uh, Brad, what's going on with, um, Oh my gosh, you guys got me going crazy here. Um, We're just too what exciting. Kind of offer, lawyers, it you know. is too exciting. What kind of offer I'm trying to figure out, figure out how to phrase this properly, Brad, what kind of offer do you think is on the table for, playstation to keep call of duty on the platform because this is me with my interpretation that he says we desire to keep call of Mm -hmm. duty on playstation but then i thought maybe phil says well here at xbox and microsoft gaming we would like to keep call of duty on playstation but we you know at a term we're not sure if they're going to accept can have you uh entertained that that's kind of what i want to ask you if you think that's possible so it raises an interesting point. And I was thinking about this as we were going through. There, There's another narrative to this that Sony might, and they're not going to do this. Sony could just be like, we don't want Call of Duty anymore. Like they yeah, could sure. not allow, just like Microsoft would love to put Game Pass onto PlayStation, but they're not going to allow that. Sony very well could come and be like, you know what? We're not going to do it. Good luck with your assets. You're not going to get the money from us or our gamers. We're just going to launch. You know, we're going to, we're going to go all in on Battlefield or something like that. I don't think that's going to play out because Microsoft and Sony do have other relationships. Don't forget that Sony is using what cloud for their service? They're using Azure. Azure. So at the end of the day, while they do compete here, uh, I think they're going to remain friendly and hopefully keep the gamer's best interest at heart. And so I, I would be shocked if there's any sort of shrewd negotiations around this, I bet it just continues sort of as is and things mm. continue to just go this, the same course because um, we all know what can happen much like what's happening with WhatsApp. Like if Microsoft comes out and is a huge jerk about this stuff, there can be ramifications on the backside if they don't uphold the promises that they, they put out there to make the acquisition happen. That's right. Okay. And I, I would say this on timing, 
cold. Uh, you know, they, they can't have those conversations probably right now. Mm-hmm. They don't own Activision. They don't have those assets to negotiate with. We really are talking about after the closing of the transaction for that. That's different than kind of tweeting out what we desire, that kind of thing. Sure. In terms of leverage, the one thing I would expect to change, even if it stays 70-30 and everything stays the same, we did find out in the Epic versus Apple case that Sony has a very specific framework for dealing with microtransactions across crossplay and things like that. So Xbox going to want full crossplay, probably isn't willing to pay Sony its pound of flesh for if people purchase more microtransactions uh, on other ecosystems while playing it more on the PlayStation. That That's what Sony we saw negotiate against Fortnite and what would cause so much trouble for Epic. That's the kind oh. of thing I can see Phil walking in and saying, okay, 70-30, we could probably live. We're not we're not giving you bounties mm-hmm. on microtransactions. So so the crossplay thing was partially due to uh, about how many how much of a portion of the microtransactions yeah, PlayStation so would Sony, keep. What Sony engineered here was, uh, and you could see this in a grid in that particular case that got leaked out and wasn't supposed to be public. So good job, Port. <laughs> uh, but they had a concept here that said, okay, eighty percent of the time players are playing on PlayStation. But 60% of the microtransactions happen here. And so it's it's off balance. And so you're going to owe us essentially a penalty amount if it gets too far off balance. And they had some safety clauses that said, you know, if, if it's within a set amount of percent, we're not going to worry about it. If it gets too far off, where essentially everybody's playing Fortnite on PlayStation, whatever it is, buying V-Bucks on Xbox, where they're getting their money and we're not getting money, then you're going to help try to balance that out. But it's all a contractual commitment. Essentially, Epic agrees to that in order to get cross-play on Fortnite on the PlayStation ecosystem. I, I can imagine that's the kind of ancillary bounty deal where Phil Spencer says, yeah, n- no, we're, we're not going to do that. We're going to be cross-play because it's very important for us to get our microtransaction and our Battle Pass money. And that's the kind of thing where you would see negotiations. Um, not yeah. necessarily on the high-level things. I know people are saying, well, a forced Game Pass on... I wouldn't surprise me if he gave it a run. Uh, it's all a matter of leverage. You don't get what you don't ask for. That's the first step in negotiations. Uh, but oh, I okay. think it's more likely than not <laughs> Call of Duty stays. It's a yeah. very different product than what we saw with ZeniMax and Bethesda. It's not Starfield. It's not a single-player RPG. It gains value from being in the zeitgeist, from being played by more people and having those conversations. So I think Call of Duty presents a tremendous opportunity for Xbox to essentially test Okay, if it's in Game Pass, great, but it's also being sold. How does that work in terms of user acquisition for Game Pass? How does revenue generate? What does that look like against Starfield or eventually 20 years from now when Elder Scrolls 6 comes out? How does that interact with Game Pass? That kind of thing. So I think it's very likely after Phil Spencer's tweet that they work something out to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation because, frankly, there's just more money in it. And we Mm. can see, yes, Phil Spencer wants to look like a white knight, wants to look like a good guy. Sony does that a little bit worse, but wants to as well. But the reason they want to do that is because there is a benefit in growing the pie. There's a benefit to both parties in having more people engaged in more games and spending more money. And Phil Spencer understands that, I think, very well. Uh, And Sony understands that too, but they're working through their wall garden issues as we speak. Yeah, they are. They are. It's a, it is such a big thing because Call of Duty is that they're number two or number three best-selling game almost every year. So it, it's a big revenue and thing. And their first reaction, uh, the around the time your video went up on Tuesday was, uh, uh, are we going to get to keep PlayStation on the, or keep Call of Duty on PlayStation? They did the sure. same thing with Minecraft. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is interesting because people thought that Phil would just kind of 
try and make a compromise with them. Look, we hold all the cards now. What can you do for us? And it sounds like maybe this is, um, there, there's too many pros to just letting Call of Duty stay I think so. I mean, you can read it more cynically, right? I mean, Warzone's never going anywhere. That's a moneymaker. It's going to stay on Sony. And if you wanted to just say, hey, that tweet just means Warzone's staying, you could. And I've seen people say that. I I just think it's more positive than that would indicate. Okay. So I've got a super from GTA SC with the $5 says, what older IP would you like to see resurrected? We're going to get in that in a minute. Uh, If I jump into that, we'll be all over the place. Uh, Fboy57 with Canadian $5. Thank you. He says, Colt, move for Activision could be the Death Star for PlayStation. He's quoting uh, he's quoting Forbes from Paul Tassi, I think it was. P.S. Are you still on the RDX podcast? I like to guess when I can. Highlander001 with a $5. Thank you. He says, Microsoft has $60 billion they have to use before the end of June. Can they acquire another developer while going through this with Activision? Brad, this is uh, right up your alley. There, there, there is that rumor about, or it's not a rumor. Xbox has $60 billion left in the spending fund that they need to spend in the fiscal year. Is that right? That is a, I, that is a crazy... <laughs> there's no way there's no val- validity to that there's it's just it's uh, something that people spend, just keep saying and we can- or what i mean what what is the or what to have to well spend uh i mean uh, people are treating it like a um like in a funded department or something where you got to oh. spend it but uh there like apparently there was a episode where they have to get a chair or else yeah brad like is there any there's no validity to this 60 billion dollar slush fund or or spending they don't don't have there is no 60 billion dollars if they spent there's a 130 ish billion in the bank that's you know cash and cash equivalents Uh, Mm um they've allocated 70 of that there's no way in hell they're going to go in there and say you know what we can just blow it all down to zero we'll put things on it like that's not happening not to mention you would (laughs) they would be screwing themselves. They're like, they go try to buy Activision while they're, you know, working that through. Like, oh, we're going to pick up WB games or something like Warner, but like they're, they're just going to screw themselves because yeah. that's not happening. They're not, I would be shocked unless it is a very, very tiny studio. They're not going to be acquiring anything. And I don't, I think potentially anything at the company until this clears. I, like I this is an all hands on deck thing. Hogue. That's a good instinct. I mean, again, we're in that we're in that zone. Regulators are looking at this. You, you don't want to give them something more to think about, right? In general, and yeah, a, a small company, some developer that you you learn to like, uh, an indie that makes good stuff for Game Pass, that's fine. Uh, but they aren't buying EA tomorrow. Uh, that, what that's about us? That's not what they're doing. What about a smoke bomb, Hogue? Like they're like, okay, we got you looking over at the Activision thing, and we're buying this. Like sure. that's just, not how it works, right? Docs. Yeah, I mean, you could you just could go all in. We're, we're buying them all: EA, UB, Square, Capcom. <laughs> We're buying them all. Quick, quick, go look yeah, over at this other thing it. we're doing. Yeah, yeah. I, it is kind no, of. I, I, don't, I really don't think so. I don't think any acquisitions of any major significance before it gets cleared. Okay, um, and we'll we'll get into that some more as well. Purple Haze with the forty five sixty four with the five dollar says. So I'm here. Maybe Microsoft might buy W Games. If true, would this be a problem? Um, no, they're not. Let's they're not. pretend. Let's pretend, I guess you'd have to pretend that the acquisition for Activision was already done, but Brad, what do you think, WB? I don't think so. It's not, there's no, there's no justification for it at this point. Um, when, when this acquisition was announced, I chatted with some people 
And part of the internal justification for this is that they look at, at the opportunity of Game Pass right now as once in a generational moment, sort of like how Windows took the market. There is a, a growing market for games as a service. We see this from Facebook. We see this from Stadia. Uh, we know that Amazon is interested in doing this. And Microsoft wanted to be the first mover. And so they have Game Pass, which is doing well. And then they wanted to take the IP that they could reasonably get in the market to establish themselves as the clear and definitive market leader, effectively the Netflix. And so it's a lot easier to be that first mover because there's also another narrative which hasn't been brought up, but they, Microsoft is typically very scared of what Google does. Um, they cannot match Google in search. They, they completely lost to them on the web. They yeah. have to use their browsing engine and they come out with a game studio. Now you could argue is stadia truly going to go anywhere or do anything that doesn't really matter right now the fact is they have a game streaming service and google does have the cash flow to go out and buy somebody like activision or ea they could do it and microsoft could look i not even looked at it they can very likely make the argument that like look if we don't buy this company google is and we all know how the regulators feel right now about google and aws who are trying to crack this market as well there's going to be consolidation in the gaming industry. We all know games as a service. Netflix of gaming is coming. Like there's no argument there. The question yeah, is yeah. who's going to be leading it. Is it going to be Google or Amazon or Facebook? These guys all have the checkbook to do this. Microsoft was just first. That's it. So what is Microsoft afraid of when it comes to Google acquiring something like Activision? That they would own the market effectively and push them out. Um, not that that's likely to happen. I think Microsoft is in a much different position in gaming than they were, say, in the early 2000s when it comes to a browser. But Microsoft is scared of Google in a lot of ways. Things like Chromebooks. You see, Microsoft has attacked the Chromebook three different times with very little penetration to that market. And the they price. Like, yeah. They, they can, yeah. Google can come at Android. Look at mobile phones. Microsoft got shut out of mobile phones completely. They took a huge mm -hmm. write down on Nokia. And so now they look at, here's another market they see in their pocketbooks, they see, um, you know, here's a gaming market. We're doing well. We're in a good position. But we know other companies are getting hungry in this area because we all see that gaming is a future of entertainment at home. It's going to be streamed. It's going to be a service. It's going to be lucrative. The margins are typically really good. And so who's going to act first? And Microsoft was the first to act. But I think EA is very clearly likely on somebody's attention span right now. Uh, and, yeah. and all these other are going to get snapped up. I think it's just more of... This is where the market's heading. And Microsoft was just, you know, they say, look, we're going to spend big. We're going to go first. And, um, you know, let's get the let's get the IP that we want. That is like a perfect segue, Brad, to my next question, because it makes me think about PlayStation because Xbox is buying this talent. They had five studios 10 years ago. Now they have 30, <laughs> basically. Crazy. Right. It's crazy. And I know you guys have been gaming a long time. I've been gaming longer than you. I'm way older than both of you combined. I refuse but... to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I had my my first system was an Intellivision, so I am very old. For me. Yeah, but that's right. I lo I love that console. I need to buy one, by the way. But Playing Burger Time on the Intellivision. I was Burger. Yes, it was so great. Hey, I can do this. <laughs> so uh, let me ask about PlayStation because there's this big argument, Hogue, with organic growth. Microsoft's just okay. going to spend big Microsoft money and bring on talent and just instead of building it from the ground up, but what's PlayStation thinking right now? Are they buying something? 
You know, a lot of people have asked me that. And I think one of the things I've said throughout, uh, really since Microsoft opened up the, the gun barrels on all of this, is that Sony, and, and really no other industry player, has the capability to get into a shooting war uh, with Microsoft, right? You talk about the big tech giants having potentially more money and more cash flow than Microsoft. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, the gaming players, the ones that we know, are so much smaller than the tech giants that you can't get into a cash fight. So Sony has throughout this last couple of years, and I think wisely been avoiding direct cash confrontations. They've been purchasing smaller companies that they've had some interactions with some contracts with and and a long history with in respect of Insomniac. In fact, Insomniac seems to be massively undervalued. And that was part of a kind of second party deal with Sony when that happened. Um, But that's what Sony has done. And that's what, frankly, Sony's going to have to continue to do. Could they buy, you know, a five, six, seven billion dollar company, uh, the Square Enixes of the world, which is the one I see coming up most often? Yes, they could. The question is whether they even want to do that. Uh, and, and I don't know. You can bet for the last week that Sony headquarters was having strategic meetings and behind closed doors conversations throughout uh, that this changes the economics. This changes the future of PlayStation. But what that looks like can be very successful for them doing something else, not just getting into an acquisition war, but effectively doing their own thing, right? Nintendo sits off on the side. No, they do. Weird. Nintendo does whatever it wants to do and <laughs> makes money through first-party development and doing oddball things, selling you cardboard and that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I know, so I know where Oak's coming from, like. <laughs> I love my, I love my Nintendo. I love I, my Nintendo. I say the same thing. I say I say the same thing, Hogue. Nintendo's being weird, but we mean it in the greatest way because they can do the the craziest, quirkiest things. They do whatever. And they be do so whatever. successful. They got an open world. I know where you're coming from. Go ahead. Kirby coming out this year. Great, wonderful. <laughs> I know. Go ahead. <laughs> and, and, and that that'll be fantastic. I love Nintendo, but when we look at this, there are many ways to get to that revenue pie. And Sony just engaging in an acquisition war, I don't think, is a long-term success story. They, they would have to leverage their company mm-hmm. up to the hilt and then hope for success. When right now they have a great brand name, they have strong goodwill globally, they have a good mm-hmm. piece of the gaming pie, and their job is to maintain it and do some new interesting stuff. And that's not the way they've necessarily operated. They've been on pretty even keel because Microsoft for 20 years hasn't used all of its resources or leverage to try to crack this market. So Sony's evaluating, but I don't see them just getting into an acquisition war. Could they buy one of those smaller companies, especially a Japanese company, Square, Capcom, something along those lines? Yes. I don't know that that's the direction that they want to go because they aren't cash rich. That isn't the company that they're leading. So I suspect what you'll see is more brand differentiation, more emphasis on boutique quality, whether or not oh, you agree with that boutique. or not. Well, that, that, that we're going to try to get up to even higher cinematic standards and, and yeah, run yeah, Sony yeah. as the Sundance of video games, then I, I could see them going that direction as well. But it's really up to them. The one thing I just think is an ultimate loser if they decide to go down that road is fighting Microsoft on money. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I'll ask you, Brad. Um, well, hold on, hold on. I want to I point sure. something okay. out that, that it dovetails nicely into that. At CES... Sony announced they're building a car, like oh, legitimately right. a car. You know how much cash intensive building a car is? 
That is massive. Now they have a lot of expertise in manufacturing and all that, but that is a yeah. capital intensive process. And so to Hoke's point, they're taking money and putting it into a vehicle. They're not going to be going out, at least in my opinion, going out for like a $15 billion acquisition just to match Microsoft. The only thing that even looks to me, I, you know, I talk about Square Enix and Capcom, but the only thing that looks to me when you look at all of the NPD data and everything that works as a pillar for Sony or any of these companies really that makes any sense at all is Ubisoft. When you mm -hmm. look at the AAA titles that are at the top of all those charts, it's Call of Duty, it's Assassin's Creed, it's your Rainbow Six Sieges. And Ubisoft has a good presence on those. You saw them just recently fight off a hostile takeover bid for, I think, the second time. Uh, but that's the one that makes the most sense. It's not out of the realm of possibility for Sony to collect that much cash, but it would make their play very, very, very risky and in general, they've operated their gaming division from a more conservative bent. Doesn't mean it couldn't change. In fact, things do have to change when an acquisition like last week's gets announced. But I see Sony acting more slowly and more considered than just starting to try to open money cannons at people. Yeah, I mean, why buy the cow if the milk is free? The old adage, right? Mm -hmm. So I was going to well, ask... <laughs> I don't mean to jump. Yeah, I apologize for for jumping on you there. I, the other comment on that is we talk about antitrust. It's not necessarily a big risk, as we talked about from the top. But if you're Ubisoft, if you're running one of these developers, you're wary of Xbox and Microsoft being the only game in town to negotiate against. You're sure. wary of that kind of consolidation because you want to be able to sell your products. You are a publisher. You make content. Uh, and you're watching this as well and making decisions not just on, oh, what's the dollars per share? Should I sell out? But what will happen if it's Microsoft that comes calling or Google or Amazon or Sony on the other side of the spectrum? And so there are a lot of evaluations happening with a lot of prognostication and trying to guess at what the industry looks like because too much consolidation doesn't just hurt a consumer. It, it hurts the developers and the content creators as well. So a lot of folks getting paid a lot of dollars to sit in a lot of rooms, having conversations like these. Uh, but also with the reins of the companies at their disposal. Yeah, yeah. Um, you just reminded me another thing. Um, I got to write that down. Brad, uh, and I'll ask you in a minute, Hogue. But Brad, I got to ask you about when I say buying, why buy the cow when the milk is for free? But what I'm getting at, what is PlayStation paying for timed exclusivity or holding a franchise on the PlayStation platform compared to what would be the uh, proportion amount compared to buying the studio or just continually paying them to stay only on PlayStation? Ooh, I think that's a bit, and that's a pin opinion question, I guess. Yeah. I was gonna say, it's probably a bit too in the weeds at this point mm -hmm. to try to understand where that line is to make sense of like, Hey, is this going to be on PlayStation to what capacity? How are we going to do it? Uh, I think Microsoft has to keep a fresh, when you look at just what they're trying to do, they have to keep the optics that they're not bad people. Like, I, I know that's such a, a weird thing to think about, potentially when it comes to spending nearly $70 billion, but Microsoft has to keep positive optics on Xbox going forward, not just for this acquisition, but just for the long haul. If you look at a company, like think about how Facebook, for example, when Facebook came around, everyone was excited. It was fun. It was fresh. And now it's like the antichrist because of the, the methodology and things that they have done. And if Microsoft comes out and t acquires this IP and turns into, you know, does what a Facebook does and have public opinion sway, that is exponentially more expensive to recover from than this acquisition will ever net for the company. And so- oh, good 
point. I, I don't look at them to come out and do something dumb and, and really try to hurt their competitors for a, a substantial amount of time. So they're being very, very, very careful. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, shout out to over, there's about 1,700 people are watching live here with Brad Sams and Hogue from Hogue's Law. We're here on the XNC podcast. If you're having a good time, if you're learning something or you're, uh, you know, your brain is growing as you watch these two talk about the industry, uh, hit the like button, get down there and move the chat out of the way. Hit the like, come on back and, and stay with the chat. You guys are amazing. A lot of questions coming in. Let me read a couple, uh, and then I'm going to get back to Hogue with a couple burning questions that are coming in. All Things Mario with the $5 says, can you shout out my channel? And we just did. <laughs> Danny Fashion Official with a $5 says, you guys just wondering if you think Activision Blizzard deal will make Apple allow a Game Pass native app on their platform. This is a Brad question for sure. Um, Brad, answer the question about a native Game Pass app on the PlayStation or Apple or any other so, platform that's not an Xbox. Specifically when it comes to Apple, the ball is 1000% in their court because we've already seen court documents come out that Microsoft did just about every single thing that they could possibly imagine to get a native app. And Apple just kind of sat there and said, nah, like we're not going to do it. We're not going to make your life easier. So they did this whole workaround thing where you get to install a web app. Uh, if Game Pass is going to show up through or on ios it's going to happen through the means of washington dc is how this is going to play out wow that's that's the only way because apple's already made their point they're like we're not going to let you do it until we get the pressure from either a regulatory agency or we are explicitly told we have to that's the only way it's going to happen yeah and keep in mind uh audience that the reason why the Xbox mobile app is missing features like the store is because of all of the workaround that Brad was talking about to get Game Pass mm-hmm. on the platform for iOS through a browser, right? So yep. like you could no longer just straight purchase a game from the Xbox mobile app. Uh, that's been stripped out so they can get some type of uniformity to allow Game Pass to be in as many places and in devices as they want. Am I correct in explaining that, Brad? Yeah, I mean, that that's pretty much it. I think Microsoft, wa- Microsoft, I shouldn't even say want to, they, they've already made it clear. They want Game Pass in as many points as possible. They've already, they're going to be putting it on TVs. We haven't, I don't know if you guys paid attention when, uh, I think it was Samsung announced they have a gaming hub coming to their latest mm-hmm. TVs. There was one that was missing. Now, we all know which one is missing. Microsoft and Samsung have a very tight relationship with an application called yeah. Your Phone on your PC. These guys work together, but I guarantee the conversation was Microsoft saying, we're going to announce when it's available. We're not letting you guys announce it. Okay, okay. Yeah, g- good things coming with that. Uh, I have an LG. I hopefully, I want to see an Xbox app on them one day so I can mess around with that. Epic Troy with the $5. Thank you, Epic Troy. He says, Sony is not even an American company. Why does it matter? Uh, well, it does matter. Like com- Our favorite companies are all over the world, and I'm happy to have products everywhere and anywhere. I just want good products. Uh, Joaquin Branch says with a $5, Ho, can, can you clarify something? If Chinese companies own a percentage of another company, does that give them first rights if someone tries buying them? Yeah, I'm sorry. What was the private? Did, was that Chinese at the start? Yeah I'll, yeah, I'll read it again. If Chinese companies own a percentage of another company, does that give them the first rights if someone tries buying them? No. I, I mean, you could always have a contractual agreement with investors. We call them side mm-hmm. letters and that kind of thing. But in general, if you've got a minority position in a company, there'll be ways to buy out the whole company regardless of how you feel about it. In fact, 
if you look at what's happening with respect to Activision Blizzard and Microsoft, they haven't gotten the shareholders approval yet. That's part of the conditions to the transaction. But the way a merger works under Delaware law, if you get that majority approval from the stockholders, you can cram down on the stockholders that didn't agree to the transaction. Uh, so with a lot more specifics than that, any lawyers that are watching, I know there's a lot more to it, but we're going to shorten it to that uh, for right now. Uh, but so the fact that it's Chinese, they've invested in the American marketplace. If you're an American company, uh, that doesn't really change anything on its face. You can, of course, agree to other stipulations with with things on a contractual basis. But no, I don't think that there's anything that I know of uh, that immediately kicks in to give you a right of first refusal outside of that contractual commitment. Okay, I wonder if Joaquin is looking at something that is related to a somebody could have a right and... of first refusal in some context, and that mm -hmm. could be being reported on, no doubt. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I'll I'll add in another question. Do does the Chinese uh, marketplace have a different? They have different standards. They have to like contentcent just buy uh, more than uh, an American company can without as much. Uh, uh, so I'll, allowance? I'll, without trying to start an international incident, uh, <laughs> multiple jurisdictions have different regulatory authorities with different standards. Yep. Uh, the American approach to securities investment is distinct from the Chinese approach uh, and requires more uh, active government management of those investments. Uh, and so Tencent operates on an operational level considerably differently than EU and American companies. Okay. Very, very good, safe answer. <laughs> and no nukes were launched after he was done talking. So, Hoag, you're amazing. Uh, let's see. We got um, Hood Ninja, Chi Nina, Nina, Ninja Chichi Gaming Entertainment. I'm so sorry I didn't say that right the first time or the third time. Thank you for the $5. It says, Disney own the, owns the rights to Spider-Man, a character bigger than any game franchise, Sony has movie rights to Spider-Man MCU equals Spider-Man is PS exclusive. We've talked have about this read, quite a bit. Have you ever read that Spider-Man license? It's I, I've tried plus pages long. You, you can say Sony owns movie rights. That doesn't quite incorporate what they own and Marvel owns the rest. It is that document should be taught in law schools because I can barely <laughs> understand what the hell. Well, I mean, can you can you give us like the four, no, 14 second answer on it? No, I can't. It, it's, it, it's that Sony owns movies and ancillary products in these silos that come off the movies and then things that kind of diverge from that, but not other things that you think would go along with it. It really is that kind of agreement where you'd have to flow chart it. I, I dove into it a little bit because I did a video on where's the Sam Raimi suit in Insomniac oh. Spider-Man very early on in my channel's history. Uh, and I looked at it a little bit, but no, it's what the internet can shorten things. It's fine. What your commenter said is, is okay. It's broadly. Who, correct. who was the, uh, the picture studio behind the San Raimi? So uh, Sony pictures makes the Sam Raimi movies. Okay. Insomniac, which is a Sony company on gaming makes the games, but there are other, intellectual property licenses that go along with those and go along with appearances and things like that. Um, and I, I'd be lying if I could tell you, I remember the details from three years ago, uh, but yeah. I, I did that video. And, and so people shorten things on the internet, but it is important to note that when we talk about the details of something like that, it's 140 pages long and the lists are insane. And, and even when you get to the bottom of those, you've got lawyers at Sony or Marvel or whomever 
guessing, trying to figure out exactly how far they can push line X or line Y. They've made it so relation. convoluted that no one even bothers, I suppose. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I've been practicing law for more than 15 years. And one of the things I always tell my clients is that we should keep it as simple as possible. We should try to be as clear as possible in the contracts because someday some judge or third party that isn't in the room with us is going to try to read this thing. Uh, but Sony and Marvel, bless their hearts, four decades ago or whenever this was done, uh, they, they went for convoluted. They tried to itemize each and every category of thing, uh, and it makes it very difficult to read today. Yeah, and uh, that's why everyone argues about where's Spider-Man on Xbox. Yeah, <laughs> Fonz, Fonzarelli Gaming, he runs Games Talk Live. He has a podcast on Sundays. He was on with you during the Iron Lords, I believe. You were both I, on the same on time. Everybody on planet Earth was on the Iron Lords, so I, I <laughs> yeah. bet he was. I'm not sure we crossed paths in the six and a half hours, but yeah. Yeah, um, I, I got on and watched the show when you were just wrapping up, and then Fonz was on there. I think might have been after, but he says, love hearing from Hogue, especially love hearing some things that I've been saying as well from him. Makes me feel like I'm on the right side here. And then he has a laughing emoji. So Fonz is pretending he's got his uh, his honorary law experience going on there. Dark Virtual CMF with the five. <laughs> Virtual. Dark CMF, thank you for the five dollars. Says, "Yo, great panel discussion, chat. Smash the like button. Yes, please. If you hit the like button, it uh, it at least tells the three of us that we're doing an okay job here live <laughs> on the show." He says, "Also, in case he's lurking or watching later, happy birthday, Gaz. That's a little joke he, he has with Gaz from Game On Daily." Kyle Co with the five dollar. Thank you, Kyle. He says, "Should Microsoft put their games on PlayStation with Pass or a third party to Sony like EA Play?" The past won't include any non-published Microsoft games, not interfering with Sony third party. Now, this is kind of a weird thing that we've been talking about, but I'll kind of lead this one. I don't think Game Pass could go to PlayStation because the Xbox exclusives don't exist on a PlayStation. There isn't a version. Brad, have you entertained this idea of, we, were, we kind of talked about this about 10 minutes ago, but have you entertained this idea of Game Pass existing on PlayStation? To your point, it would be tough. Not impossible because they have things like cloud gaming where it could work, where it could make sense in the future. Now, this is like hypothetical here is, for example, let's say Call of Duty ends up in Game Pass. We already know that's going to be on PlayStation. So a Game Pass in that perspective might have some games. Now, the problem with that is it's really expensive to educate the consumer to go in there and say, like, look, some of these games are here and they're native and then some of these games <laughs> right. are going to stream down and people are just going to be like, well, why does this one suck? And it works all right. And then you go play <laughs> Call of Duty and it's like, it's possible, like technically it's possible, but is mm-hmm. it plausible is a totally different thing, I think, at this point. Yeah, that's uh, exactly how I looked at it because... Um... That's the very first thing I thought of is how do you educate consumers? Because the people here that are like you that are talking to me <clears throat> and the people who are watching the show, of course, we know what's on Game Pass. But somebody who goes and buys a PlayStation 4 or a PlayStation 5 and gets Game Pass and goes, well, wait a minute, where's Forza Horizon? And that's, right. it's, it's a valid question. And if they had to stream it, they're like, why does it run like this? Or why does it look like this? Or my Internet's not. Yeah, it's not a uh, not a really a workable thing, at least not for now. Uh Shout out to a channel member for eight months. V Simcoe with the Ori and the Blind Forest picture says, which neglected Activision Blizzard IPs would you like to see revived? Great question. We will get to that in just a few minutes. Uh, Mike Oretta with the $5 says, even when Sony buys a studio, their player base doesn't benefit. They can they still charge their customers $70 a game. Xbox buys studios and puts them in Game Pass. This was something that came up where 
Um, why should Xbox fans celebrate Hogue? Why should they celebrate this acquisition when they already had access to these games every release on an Xbox console? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I To me, I, I like I said, I'm a mergers and acquisitions lawyer. I like big transactions. I like activity in the industry. If you want to celebrate this transaction, I would say you celebrate it because it's a good thing that somebody is throwing $100 billion at the industry in the last three years uh, mm-hmm. and is investing in that. And, and one, is showing that faith and investment in the industry. And two, more cynically, has to go get that ROI out of it. Mm-hmm. Has to go figure out how to get you sure. content and game experiences that you like that make you happy so that you buy their battle passes or microtransactions or games or game passes. Um, so I, I would celebrate it for that because competition is good. And if you think Sony was resting on their laurels and you think the one generation wasn't the strongest that Xbox could put out there, this is a lot stronger. They're going all in in a lot of ways. And I think that's great. From the Game Pass side of things, I, the only thing that I caution people about uh, is that Microsoft is still in the user acquisition model for Game Pass. And that is great. Feels good. You're getting mm-hmm. more than your $10 or $15 out of it or your $1 if you did it for two years when they were really trying to get you in there. Yep. That feels awesome. But at some point, they have to evaluate how that revenue is going to be generated. They're, they want to get that number up. So this is going to be a near to midterm continuing user acquisition period. But at some point, you spend $70 billion, your service gets a lot more value to it. It isn't $10 anymore. And so that's going to happen eventually. We see Netflix do that for the last little while, creep that up, creep it up, creep it up, creep it up. Uh, but I would celebrate overall because in the near term, you're in user acquisition land, you're getting a great price on Game Pass. And Microsoft, in order to make this work from a marketing perspective, is going to want to put big, big stuff in that Game Pass for at least the next few years. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Cool thing. Yeah. yeah have to jump here in a second but i want to i want to raise one last point before i have to to sign it off here because it does tails into what hoga is saying Mm -hmm. there is a number inside of microsoft where they know how much it costs to to grow game pass by one user it's a figure it might be 19 dollars. it might be 300 dollars right now we don't know what that number is i'm trying to figure out maybe where it is if i ever get to it i'll do something about it but Microsoft okay. knows what that number is. And they took that number, I guarantee you, and divided it by 67 billion. And they say, look, <laughs> this is how many subscribers we're going to get out of this based on our current modeling. And that is a real tangible way for them to justify this acquisition. So it's oh, going to be fun to watch. Yeah, if you, go, you look at that Epic versus Apple case, one of the fun documents is you get to see Epic having this document mm-hmm. about them putting free games out there what it cost them to get the free game, how many people engaged, how many people then bought a game on their service. All of that analysis comes out, again, primarily because the court screwed up and made those documents public. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's very interesting stuff. Okay, well, um, Hogan and I are going to keep going here. We've got a bunch of more stuff to talk about. But I want to give Brad Sams just a minute here to you know, say hi to everybody and bye. And uh, Brad, tell us what you're doing on the channel where, where are you at on subscribers and what's coming up? 
Yeah, so I'm Brad. Hopefully everybody <coughs> recognized that. Colt said it a few times, but Colt very much appreciate the invitation to come hang out this evening and talk about stuff like this. So you can find me on the on the YouTubes, just Brad Sams. Um, I typically go by BS because those are my initials. And I think we're like 48 million, 48 million. <laughs> We've talked about a lot of billion numbers, like 48. Yeah, yeah, we did. Somewhere around there. I was going to be really impressed. Yeah, really impressed. <laughs> I'm but still going to be really impressed. You're <laughs> at how many really subs? Just- it's just diving into the Microsoft and the Xbox of the world. And uh, as, as Colt pointed out, I'm usually pretty quick on it, mostly because this studio is in my basement and I work upstairs. So I can just run downstairs and and do my thing real quick after Microsoft dishes it out. Um, I will just leave on one note is that Microsoft drops earnings tomorrow. So we're going to find out a lot about Ooh. the finances of Q4 calendar year, Q4 fiscal year, Q2 for Microsoft. And I can't wait to start picking those numbers up. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to be like in theory, in, in theory, it should be really good. Uh, yeah. But then you look at things like surface hardware, which is usually a $2 billion in, you know, business during that time, but then chips are down. And so I suspect yeah. they will have a really good quarter on the software and services side, and they will have a not so good quarter potentially on the hardware side, just because they can't get enough hardware out the door. So, Oh man. Yeah. Thank you so much. Everybody uh, thumbs up for Brad for, for checking out the show and being here on X and C Brad, I'll talk to you soon on Twitter. Keep doing what you're doing. And uh, we always love it when you run race downstairs to make a video. So <laughs> keep doing that. And thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. And Hogan, appreciate I'll get it, guys. To it. Thanks to catch you later. All right. All right. Later. All right. Uh, as Brad jumps out, I will switch to the, uh, the one-on-one uh, layout here. Uh, let's see. And I'll hit I, a couple of I love the downstairs studio. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it is amazing. And we've known Brad for quite a while. And um, so many times he's broken the news to me first on my phone and we, we joke that brad like rolls out of bed and just tumbles in front of the camera and he's like ready to bring the news as quickly as possible i love uh, it so we appreciate that yeah he's amazing so um gosh i was going to ask you something long time ago let me grab a super here they're kind of piling up but we got uh hargit chani thank you so much for the ten dollar <clears throat> he's got a couple of them i think i might do them back to back he says what are the possibilities of microsoft or sony buying enough shares of publishers to block a purchase also, if Sony tries to buy a pub, would they go to Microsoft to create a bidding war? Oh, this is uh, interesting. So, could uh, is there any, is such a thing as buying enough shares to block a purchase? This sure. is a question it's, I was going to ask you. In so far as it, a deal has to be approved by a majority, for the most part, if you're not talking about a hostile takeover, which is done on an individual basis. Um, so, if you've got a plurality of significance at a company, you at least have sway to get the other investors to say no. Uh, to a transaction of of any type. Uh, It's probably not the most efficient way uh, to protect your assets, but it's a business strategy that can happen in certain industries. I wouldn't say it's likely in this one. Okay. Um, The other question I was going to ask you probably 30 minutes ago was for you to talk about what you said on your video earlier this last week about um, Microsoft wants to buy Activision. So they've got all these IPs and franchises we're going to talk about. uh, What happens like what if somebody wants to come in and buy right. call of duty out from underneath that like hey like just say because you said it so perfectly in your video i don't want to i don't want to say it but like <laughs> set it up set it up because you i don't you know what i said See, that's the beauty of my videos it's like I, that's great uh no uh, so here, <laughs> here's what happens right if you're a board member if you're on the board of directors of activision blizzard you're what we call a fiduciary you have an obligation to try to get the most value out of your company assets, out of the company in general, 
for the stockholders. If you think about this more broadly, the stockholders have given you money to do things with, and it's not your money. You have a responsibility to spend it and grow it as best that you can. So when you sign up to a definitive agreement with Microsoft to sell the company for $95 a share, you still are a fiduciary of the company. So if somebody else were to come out of the woodwork and say, well, what about $115 per share? Then you as a board member basically cannot, by law, ignore that offer, even though you've signed up this other definitive agreement. So in the merger agreement with Microsoft, otherwise in the documents, you can see the summarized in some short form documents that they've also filed uh, with the federal agencies. They have a provision that says, yeah, the board doesn't have to breach its duties. They can entertain what I think they call a superior offer. Um, And if they decide to go with it, then that's fine. Uh, The company will be sold to them. And then you owe Microsoft a big chunk of change, $2.27 billion, I think. Right. An enormous amount of money that we call a breakup fee. Now, you also posited, could somebody buy the assets out from under you? The answer to that is probably no. Uh, So part of the merger agreement also says, hey, Activision, we don't run you until we buy you, but Mm -hmm. you're not going to do anything outside the ordinary course. You're not going to sell your assets off. You're not going to. They're engaged, essentially. Yeah, they are engaged. That's a great way to think about it. They're not married, but they do have a ring on their finger. And so they can't do major things to change what has otherwise been agreed to being purchased. Um, I mean, now you could get into a scenario where there's some kind of fiduciary obligation with that kind of thing as well. It's a little bit more unlikely than somebody else coming in and offering more money for the company. So something protects like PlayStation from saying, Hey, call of duty is like one of our biggest money makers in the third party platform. Mm -hmm. So Activision, how about we give you this much money and call of duty can belong to PlayStation. And then Microsoft can just take a, uh, uh, a discount and buy the rest of the company. Something protects that? Uh, yeah, so that would be very difficult to do under the current setup of contracts. Now, I want to say with three parties like that, they can agree to anything they want. But Microsoft would be a party to that conversation uh, of saying, okay, well, then our price is X if you don't have Call of Duty and we still want to buy you, but we don't get Call of Duty. That seems unlikely as a position that Microsoft would take. I have to be mm-hmm. fully honest there. Uh, But if you wanted to organize that kind of thing, you could. On the understanding that right now, Microsoft is willing to pay the shareholders $95 per share. And anything that jeopardizes that or would result in less money to them is going to be a problem for you at the board level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, you talked a lot about that two point. We'll just say 2.6 because I think you had two different numbers. I think it's $2.27 billion as a breakup fee. Yeah. Okay. You had the, the exact number. I kind of parroted some of the stuff you said in your video in mine sure. i explained about how if activision backs out they owe microsoft uh, about 2.5 billion dollars and if xbox backs out for, or microsoft backs out they owe around about pretty much the same amount right it's between two and three depending on when it happens um well so, how far down the road yeah so mostly microsoft's only back out provision give or take, there's a lot of specifics here that we could talk about Mm -hmm. as well. But for the most part, it's antitrust regulators come in and say no. Um, And so if that happens, because Microsoft will have wasted everybody's time, uh, then Microsoft owes Activision $2 billion if it happens fast, uh, 2.5 if it happens medium, and 3 billion if it happens in a longer period of time, because more time would have been wasted. Um, And And it it, uh, value drops uh, of one of the entities, right? 
because yeah. of the goodwill and all hell breaks loose if a regulator blocks. Right. Let's be fully honest. Um, yeah, I mean that's another thing I have to ask you. If a regulator, because um, you corrected me in a tweet, I said something about uh, approving, and you said it's not really it's not oh, approval, sure. it's allowance, right? Yes. And so if regulatory committee comes in and says uh, we don't think this is gonna this is the right thing to do, we're we're not going to allow it. I mean that is really. I mean, wouldn't Microsoft see a stock drop at that moment of news? Um, or would Activision also? Investors might be happy. I mean, you don't, you never know what an investment market is going to do. Right? Sure. When Microsoft announces this, I think their stock goes down a little. Uh, and that's sure, normal it went down throughout three acquirer. points or something. Yeah, that's a normal for an acquirer because the money is going to go away and you're not sure what the future is. Investors are like, oh, that. Okay. okay. Um, but on the Activision side, the, the, the number immediately pops up, right? The, the Activision number goes from 60 or 50. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I wish I could bring it up on screen, but yeah, there was a uh, Activision. I'm doing it uh, for your guys' side and I'm watching. It was yeah. like this, and then Phil goes, "Hey, we like you," and also it dropped yep. up. Uh, what was now, the, the percentage? Like a thirty? Yeah, the interesting part about the Activision bounce though is that they didn't bounce to ninety five, right? If this deal is a done deal, then a share of stock in Activision is worth ninety five dollars, and the price and what did right it now jump is to? in the low eighties, I think. So that's, that's showing that's, you a discount for a number of things. It's showing you a discount for the regulators might stop, jump in. It's showing you a discount for the stockholders might not approve it. It might be a different deal. Something bad might happen uh, between now and then. And it's not an insignificant discount. If you, if I could tell you right now, hey, I'll pay you $95 for what you got. I'll sell it to you for 80 today and I'll pay it to you tomorrow. Yeah. Everybody, Everybody watching this would take it. But there's a lot more risk in this deal that you're seeing built in by the market as it evaluates this kind of thing. So it's not a non-zero chance of something going wrong between now and $95 day. No question. Yeah. I, I gotta say, um, thanks to all the 1500 people who are here watching. Um, we're very fortunate to hear Hogue talk about this. He's an expert in corporate law. He's, he's an expert with 15 years experience in mergers and acquisitions. He knows his way around this. And the best part is he loves what he does and add the cherry on top. He loves the video game industry and I playing video games. games. So, yes, it is. It, we are very fortunate to hear what he has to say. I would love to hear more questions from the chat as we kind of go through this. But uh, I am really uh, learning a lot. I can't miss a video now. This is uh, oh, it's amazing. Thank yeah, thank you so much for, for being here. Uh, let's see. We got Hargit Johnny's second one. It says, on the Monopoly point, if Nintendo makes a high-powered console, please do, Nintendo. Please do. Uh, they would they be a viable competitor to the PlayStation and Xbox? I think they are ignored for the most part, as they can't play all games. Let me add to Hargi's uh, question because we like Nintendo. It's not my favorite, not my top platform, but I've always wondered if they just had a powerful console, they could play all the other games too, and they'd have everything. So um, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, we got Code Always Wins with uh, five dollar, two five dollar super chat. She says. You can also download RetroArch on the Xbox Series X. No walled gardens. Um, that oh, I'm sorry, that's a copied one. Let's see, is that the emulator? Are you uh, familiar with the emulator series on the Series S? I am not that, familiar in terms of personal experience, but I certainly know of them and the emulation experiences on those. Consoles. I think that might be what um, what the code always wins is talking about. Yeah. I haven't messed. I have a Series S, and now uh, it's in the other room. My kids using it but I've never bothered to put the emulation on there. 
that could be really cool that you could do on the Series X. Yeah, there's some Let's really see. cool YouTube videos about it as well, going through the developer mode and getting some really crazy things on there, PlayStation 2 games, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, I mean, people, people very, put like a thousand games on there. Yeah. So we can get burger time on your on your Xbox. Here you go. <laughs> Damon, our channel said, says uh, with a $2, what will they do with the old Sierra games on Xbox? Thanks for the super chat. Uh, Sierra used to be under the Activision umbrella, I think. I haven't looked into Sierra. Activision old... owns the Sierra brand. It's not a company anymore. So they have all those mm-hmm. intellectual property assets. We saw King's Quest Revival in 2015. Uh, that was really, really good. If you're at all interested in that series, the Odd Gentlemen uh, were commissioned by Activision to make a King's Quest game. Uh, came out episodically over 2015, 2016. Very, very good. Highly recommended by me for what yeah, it's I've worth. Played a... I've seen the Sierra logo many times on games I've loaded up, and uh, they are bygone of the gaming history. Spartan Ghost 17 with the two pounds super chat. Thank you, Spartan. He says, Hogue, why is Apple playing hardball for Game Pass? Uh, Well, it depends on who you ask. You go and ask Tim Sweeney and Epic Games, they tell you they're playing hardball so that they can preference their own gaming service in App Arcade uh, and keep everybody else down. Uh, I think there's some truth to that, to be fully honest. Uh, but the question becomes, should Apple be able to have the right to control their own access to their own system? And that's where things get a little bit more dicey. And I think Brad, mm-hmm. who was on earlier, had it right to say, Epic, I don't think is going to win the legal fight against Apple. They've lost basically everything. The Ninth Circuit is unlikely to overturn that, although it is being appealed right now. It's going to be a couple year long process for that. But right now in the halls of Congress, there are multiple bills that are being considered that would crack open the Android and Apple ecosystems, there is a significantly higher chance of success going that direction uh, than the opposite. Because if there's one bipartisan agreement in Washington now, it's that the politicians don't like the power big tech has. Uh, And so you can win certain congressional Hmm. concessions by vilifying big technology companies. And we're seeing that happen today. That's another, another thing I had to ask you, you covered it in that video last week where you said um, it could come down to, someone in the committee having a bad day. Sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, there Regulators is a little bit of uh, yeah. Yeah. I, and they I have say this about corporate decision-making, but I say it about government agencies too. There are great people operating in all of those things. There are terrible people. Any institution that you've ever interacted with viewers, listeners, whomever uh, you understand there's been great oh, yeah. teachers. There've been bad teachers. There've been great managers. There've been bad managers. That doesn't change if you're at a multinational corporation or if you're at a government agency. Uh, So the danger of the antitrust rules, as they have been used in America for the last 50 years, is that they're a little idiosyncratic. They're a little bit about what administration's in office and who exactly is the head of the FTC or the DOJ, what they feel about X, Y, and Z. And that's not going to change for this deal. And there have been rumblings that they want to be more aggressive about digital market enforcement of antitrust laws. Oh boy. And I, I really assume that most anybody who goes in with a big merger acquisition proposal is like, we're doing it for the good of this or yes. the good of that. And uh, yes. they have to deal with that right every day. Well, if you really think about antitrust, it's a wild sectional law anyway, right? It says we love competition. We want competition out there because it's good for the consumer. And what is really ruthless competition look like? It looks like trying to obliterate your competitors. And so there's a That's tough business. thing that the antitrust regulators have to do to say, yeah. here's the line. Strong competition. Microsoft goes in there and say, you know what? You know who's in favor of competition? The company that just spent $70 billion fighting off other companies. 
we're in favor of competition, FTC. And they're not wrong. But what those agencies look at is, okay, at some point you cross over the line to obliteration and that lowers competition on the whole. Uh, and so I mean, that's what they're looking for. It doesn't the Microsoft name not do them a whole lot of favors. Like yes. I feel like they should be leading foot forward with the Xbox name because the Xbox is an underdog platform, but it's still funded by Microsoft. Yeah, it's still so going to be the Microsoft have... name at the top of that document, whatever it looks mm-hmm. like. Uh, and yeah, their history with regulators. Uh, if you don't know, Microsoft has long been in and out of the halls of Congress and the government and the FTC and the DOJ. Uh, so they carry a certain amount of weight and baggage uh, just having these conversations. Undoubtedly. Good and bad, you're saying? Oh, yeah. Because... I, I don't think everybody hates Microsoft. Um, and, and Microsoft is an American success story. Uh, so you do have yeah. the ear of those folks that look and say, hey, uh, you don't want to block acquisitions of American companies buying American companies to make digital market enforcement when America has to fight off, uh, you know, other in multinational companies. And so you'll have ah, different yeah. politics on those kinds of conversations. Uh, but anybody that tells you that they can guess as to what direction that'll go with all of those voices and everything else is, is lying because it's, They're it's just all guessing. a matter of what happens when it actually happens. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is something. Uh, Lord Starkiller uh, SXX01. Thank you for the $5. Says, question for Hogue. What is the threshold for Microsoft to be considered a gaming monopoly? With the oh. Activision Blizzard. Activ- so Activision. threshold there implies to me that the question is market concentration, right? That tends to be what people focus on. At what percentage of ownership of, say, the revenue streams does the regulators start to worry? Uh, and you'd, you'd think from the wording in antitrust that monopoly would mean one, so it would be 100%. Obviously, that's not the case. Uh, and in general, regulators start to get concerned when they start seeing 20, 30, 40% of a market. And I'm sorry, I can't make it more narrow than that. If you actually go and read your sure. opinions, they basically say, ah, it's around here where we start to think that you have the pull to use your power to substantially lessen competition. Um, it gets a little bit more confusing from there because outside of the merger context, and I've talked about this in virtual legality before, it isn't illegal in the United States to have a monopoly. It's not illegal to monopolize a given market. It's illegal to use that power in an unreasonable way to restrain trade. Uh, And all those phrases mean nothing. Uh, It's all interpretive by courts and by regulators. So it's important to note that. And when you look at something as an example, when we look at Epic versus Apple, Epic says Apple is a monopolist provider of access to iOS. And if you think about that logically, as that sentence comes off their tongue, you say, yeah, that's true. There is no question Apple as a monopoly on access to their iOS ecosystem. But is that the kind of market that the law should care about? And ultimately, the courts in that case right now have decided that it isn't. And that's yep. that matches up with precedent in antitrust law for the last hundred years. Yeah, that is super interesting. That that statement when you say, uh, you know, it's not illegal to have a monopoly, but what does it mean? What makes the monopoly illegal like what what is can you come up with an example sure it's sure. it's sort of uh yeah so when i say it's not illegal to have a monopoly you can have a natural monopoly you can have your competition is so good your brand is so powerful the quality of your services is so strong your price is so low that reasonably like windows you're just the best place to go get the thing right and so you just get all the shoe sales in america because you're that awesome And the antitrust guidelines are very specific in saying we do not want to curtail successful business models. We don't want to say 
hey, you can't be the best of best, best shoe salesman in the in the country. We want you to try to do that. And okay, that's good. In most cases, that's going to result in a kind of churn of different competing forces, and that's going to be great. But if you are the best, 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 you could wind up in a place where you have 100% of the market. And then we take a very careful eye to make sure that you don't, once you have 100% control, triple your prices all of a sudden, or that that quality goes oh, down, okay. or that okay. something happens where you've used your monopoly power now in an untoward way. Um, and that's what they're focused on. And in that the we're the only process, we're the only provider, so you're paying yep. us more than we're after the price we've gouged. crushed our competition and you don't have an option. Now it's five times as much. And now and this is why hey, competition that quality has been lowered. So you're allowed to compete at maximum strength under the United States law. That's what they want you to do. Uh, but you have to be careful to not take steps that are specifically designed just to curtail competition and not benefit the quality or the price or whatever it is of the product or service that you provide. And yes, I understand that sounds Byzantine and like it has all these different amorphous <laughs> characteristics. That's uh, correct. Uh, that's the way antitrust law is on the ground. Well, I mean, Microsoft had a monopoly with the operating system on a personal computer. Not many people are on Linux or other competing uh, operating systems, but um, Microsoft wasn't even monopolizing the monopolizing the the operating system on personal computers. Like that was a concern back in the '90s, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and that's the nature of antitrust is to be concerned about things. It's always forward looking, right? But even there, to whatever market share that Microsoft had of operating systems, and it was really in bundling operating systems with hardware and controlling those contracts, and then bundling that operating system with access to specific internet browser technology. Like when you buy a PC, trouble. it comes with Windows? Is that what you mean? The PC comes with Windows and Windows mandates Internet Explorer. And this whole chain oh, is okay. what the Federal Trade Commission, the Department of Justice were most concerned about uh, in the 90s. So when you're talking about how that happened, it's it's not the monopoly necessarily. If Windows is just the best place to have your operating system, that's great. You got your 80% market share. You did it naturally. That's fine. But when you do that and then you bundle Internet Explorer and you make it difficult for Netscape or whomever at the time to get <laughs> on your access, that's when yep. they get concerned. That's when yeah. you see those types of things happen. So that's the difference. Unfortunately, a lot of it is kind of I know it when I see it uh, from a court's perspective or a regulator's perspective. It's, it's behavioral rather than just competing. If you're competing on quality, if you're competing on access, if you're competing on services and price in general, the law doesn't care. Regulators can still care, but the law isn't supposed to care about that kind yeah, of competition. I can it, see that. It cares about the other stuff. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. L Lord Onion has a $5 super chat. It says, sure. Dear Sony, you can have Call of Duty every year, but we need Spider-Man, God of War, and make a VR Halo game. Sincerely, Phil Spencer. Uh, the franchises are a big part of this acquisition to bring franchises to Xbox. And we haven't quite talked about some of these franchises, but... We talked about Call, Call of Duty a lot, Hogue, but there are a lot of franchises that come with Activision and Blizzard. Some of them have been dormant for about 10 years. I don't know if you uh, played a lot of Blizzard games over the past 20 years, but what IPs would you like to see reemerge that have been sitting on the bench? Oh, see, I, I, I'm a big fan of the mascot platformer, right? I, it's one of the things I uh -huh. love on Nintendo. I really, really loved Crash Bandicoot 4. Uh, that Activision good. released. I thought it was fantastic and really hard, and it was just great. Um, so I would love to see resources thrown at Crash and Spyro. Uh, I have a lot of great memories of them. I think they are good platforms for 
engaging even with the current generation. I think Microsoft, frankly, needs some mascot platformers, needs a little bit more of a push into a little bit family-friendly kind of activity. I would love, love, love that. Um, And I think Activision, before they took all their eggs and put them in the Call of Duty basket, had actually proven (laughs) the business viability of the Crash remasters, of the Spiral remasters. And to me, Crash Bandicoot 4 was such a great, at least quality level success, I was expecting my Spyro 4. Uh, So if Microsoft could get that out the door, that would be awesome. Um, But outside of that, Sierra branded stuff, I grew up typing into my keyboard, playing King's Quest, Space Quest, Hero Quest. Uh, I love those games to death. I don't know whether they have a place in the modern landscape. Uh, Like I said, I really like the King's Quest revival. I don't know if there's value in that IP to a kid in 2022. Um, but selfishly, that's what I like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would love to see that. Um, you know, Blizzard has a long history of successful uh, properties. I think their output has been so slowed in the last little while. I would love to see it uh, either reorganized to get more functional or have their assets and intellectual property spread around Xbox gaming uh, and, and get more of that kind of stuff out. I would be really intrigued to see what they would do uh, with a StarCraft or a WarCraft. Uh, whether that's the Age yeah. of Empires, an ensemble, or someone else, uh, checking that out for themselves, that would be awesome. Activision offers so many opportunities. Uh, it would be great just to see it uh, and, and what they could do with it and and not just make Call of Duty with their bundle. Of <laughs> I know. I know I've spent all weekend working on a video covering a lot of what you're just saying. Um, do you think, because I imagine that when Microsoft and Xbox are now owning Activision Blizzard, they let them do their thing, but is there some sort of motivation to say, look, we want a lot of games on Game Pass. Blizzard, are you ready to get back to what you do best? Like, is there any sort of um push from Xbox to encourage those teams to get back to what they used to do? Well, I don't know. I really don't know. And I'm not sure Xbox knows. I mean, the thing about mm-hmm. these acquisitions is that they are very, very short in time frame. We are still in a place where even before they purchase Activision, Xbox is looking to figure out exactly how ZeniMax rolls in, exactly how Phil and his team interact with so many more developers uh, than they were interacting with, say, even in 2017. Uh, And so they're still figuring things out. So they have indicated in their statements they want to have creative independence to their purchased bodies. They're going to have at least a medium strength hand, if not a heavy hand on some of these. Uh, but ultimately, when you think about what you purchase, when you purchase a video game publisher, you're purchasing two things. You're purchasing their assets and you're purchasing their development capabilities. Uh, and mm-hmm. they don't have to they don't have to go together. So you say, Blizzard, are you going to get back to what you're doing? Maybe. Yeah. But maybe you say, hey, are any of our 34 developers interested in doing something cool with Warcraft? Uh, and so you start to broaden out. There can be cross pollination of ideas and concepts. Uh, across a giant Xbox gaming entity. And how they decide to deal with that is going to be one of the really interesting stories going forward. Uh, Because I suspect Phil is going to try to motivate his developers by saying, hey, what do you want to do? And then going from there. Uh, Sony takes a little bit of a heavier hand. We saw that with like Ben Studio getting three rejected concepts um, from what they wanted Mm -hmm. to do. Uh, and, and and you can see that with Sony just kind of taking that path. It'll be interesting to see what Microsoft does because a light hand runs the risk of people making things that aren't to market, aren't 
don't have buyers that are that interested, making the developers happy, but not necessarily the bean counters or the community even. And so that becomes kind of a tug of war as to what that looks like. I'm fascinated by that. You saw in the reorganization when they purchased Activision that Phil got a new title. And that's a major deal that Microsoft gaming as a concept and him being CEO is very representative of taking a bigger piece, a bigger pillar of what Microsoft wants to be into the future. Uh, but that means more and, management. That means more yeah. consideration of what gets made than was happening even five years ago. Yeah, it's more direct access to what him and Satya talked about a year ago was how we're all in in gaming in that in that press brief. But Hogue, I wasn't really thrilled about the new name called Microsoft Gaming because Xbox had spent the better part of three or four years establishing that the, that gaming is called Xbox yeah, and that, and then you're on Xbox, whether you're on an Xbox console or brand new Xbox console, or whether you're playing on Xbox live or in game pass. And I, even when they said that we're going to call it PC game pass, instead of just calling it Xbox game pass PC, uh, splitting where the name Xbox, like a strong name for PlayStation is amazing. You don't have to say Sony. Everyone knows what a PlayStation is. And I feel like sure. they took another wrong step in messaging, which seems like it seems like it's so obvious to stick, just consolidate everything to the name Xbox. If you're playing on cloud online, you're an Xbox gamer. And uh, they've kind of mixed that where they put Phil in the head of Microsoft gaming. But it, it does make me wonder if uh, they will put those teams to work. And I hope Phil is Phil and Matt and all of those other people that are leading the games industry is getting those teams uh, excited about creating games again because I feel like they've been dormant. Koi oh, Cadaver. I, I, mean, I think it's a big deal, definitely. I mean, I think there is one critical concern from a marketing standpoint with the Xbox name, right? And that's the uh -huh. box. Box is built into that uh, in a fashion that Microsoft's trying to get away from uh, in a way that maybe PlayStation doesn't quite have the problem with. If they were to just go all digital, Station is still kind of a place to go play games. Box is still mm -hmm. reminding you of a plastic box under a TV. Uh, so yeah, they've been terrible me, with names. <laughs> what it, Microsoft is so I, I like Microsoft. I'm glad they're in gaming. I'm glad they're making these investments. Let's be yeah. honest. They've had a long winding journey with the names of their products, right? I mean, the one, the Series mm -hmm. X, heck, the 360 being named the 360 primarily because they didn't want to get outnumbered by the PlayStation 3. All of these are <laughs> interesting things. Uh, that happened yeah. in, in the world of gaming. Microsoft has always been maybe thinking two steps beyond what they should, what they need to, to market these very good devices uh, in, in the naming side of things. So I don't know whether Microsoft Gaming winds up taking over as their main naming, but I, I do look at that and say, for a company that really wants to live on a recurring re revenue service model, Box is maybe not what you want to attach to it. Yeah, I, maybe not. I mean, but this, the logo, just a simple logo that says Xbox. Like it Xbox. doesn't designate which console I think would work for gaming, but they're kind of going in a different way, but I don't know. Uh, we got <laughs> Koi Cadaver with a $10. Thank you so much, Koi. says, give me a prototype reboot or give or give me death. Not a remake. I want a whole new game. I love prototype. I'm playing prototype 2 right now. Uh, I wish it was at a higher frame rate, but it's yeah. already been remastered for last generation consoles, so... Uh, I would love to see prototype. And I realized that it is so much like Saints Row 4 and Crackdown in a lot of ways. It's kind of like infamous, infamous Second Son. I don't know. You know what I, Prototype always reminded me of? There was an incredible Hulk game. Yes. Uh, that I felt like Prototype was doing the same kind of thing for. Uh, and uh, those games are fun. They're stupid, but they're fun.
Yeah, they're very stupid and fun, and I, I enjoy them. I need to play that Hulk game, but um, was that on the original Xbox or the? I think I'm it, trying to remember whether it I think was it was. It was not. too old for me to go back and check out, but um, sometimes I like dumb fun uh, like that. But Spartan Go 17 with the two pounds says pressure mounts on Phil after this acquisition. Uh, he looked like he was pretty happy when he was on C C uh, NBC gosh i just i just watched it the other day he looked like he was pretty happy and looks like they're doing pretty well with this acquisition i know hogue is a lot of the pressure on uh other parts of the team as far as dealing with the regulatory and uh is that not so much on yeah getting the deal done sure but I, i do think you got your parent company to commit to uh close to 100 billion dollars in three years mm-hmm. there, there's a certain amount of okay now make it rain uh that comes with that um yeah. and so phil spencer his job is to project confidence his job is to project uh that he's an ambassador for both his service and his company and to the community that will serve as his customer base but there is no question that this kind of commitment puts an enormous amount of pressure like a you know like a quarterback in a big game nothing wrong mm-hmm. with it uh, but there, he he's now on the big stage, uh, and he is going to go make Microsoft money, or he isn't. Uh, and I tend to think he is. I think he's doing a lot of great, good things, and I think he's making a lot of right decisions. Uh, is he is he borrowing six? Is he borrowing sixty eight billion from Satya and saying, "Look, I'll get it back to you in a few years by in some goodwill." In yeah. goodwill, I mean, it's the company's money, but he's he yes, he says, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get this company, we're gonna buy Activision for a good price. Uh, because their stock price had fallen pretty significantly. Uh, and mm-hmm. we're going to use it to make our shareholders a lot of money. And that's that's how that all goes. Uh, and now Phil has to go do it. Uh, and I think he will. I think Xbox will. Uh, but there's no question there's pressure on that. This is an enormous yeah. expenditure by this company uh, to do this. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not him right now. Prometheus with the $5 says, in case of Tencent, who has 100% stake in several studios, what kind of pull would Tencent have over what yeah that's what I'm wondering about uh over other acquisitions maybe we'll we'll get yeah. we'll round back to that but yeah Wolf I mean, of Darkness got money. they've got a lot of money Wolf of Darkness with the AED 1799 says what's up Colt my question to Hogue you're a talented person have you ever considered working with the Microsoft gaming division hook him up Colt <laughs> well uh, I can tell you, what, what can I tell you? So ethics in law is important. Um, I, uh, I have been on various sides of the conference room table uh, with the big wigs at Microsoft Gaming uh, in the past. Awesome. There you go. That's all we need to know for now. From I think that's all <laughs> I can Hogue. say, so that's good. There you <laughs> go. That, that's very, very, very cool, man. Sleeping Vistas with the Australian $5 says, Hogue, do you see both companies shoring up their existing contracts with other online multiplayer gaming companies' anticipation of a future acquisition? Uh, I wonder if he means both companies being Activision or with PlayStation. You can't move a a ton of stuff around in the Activision space while the deal's pending. Uh, You can absolutely continue to operate in the ordinary course. But I think if if the broader question is, are you paying attention to this and are you considering this kind of consolidation environment when you're making your next contract and having your lawyers draft up those provisions, the answer is yes. Um, that mm-hmm. your job is to consider, okay, if this were to happen, what bad things could happen? What provisions do I need in the contract? When you say shore up, uh, that's the idea is that you look at that and say, okay, 
if Microsoft were to swing around and buy you tomorrow, what do I need to have in this contract to make sure I'm okay for at least some kind of runway uh, after that happens? That does that that will be occurring across the entire industry. Wow. Okay. Uh, Z Black Rider with the Canadian Five says, "Who ends up heading Activision and Blizzard?" Thank you, Z Black Rider. He says, "I hear there are a couple of ex Sony CEOs available." Sean Layden's amazing. I'd love to see him get back into the gaming sphere, but he is working in big event big of, of, of events for major companies and i'm sure he's super happy but so who would be leading activision blizzard when bobby kotick steps down hogue well i mean they formally said that they'll report directly to phil spencer so their plan is to put these big publisher purchases direct under the ceo um as for what like the middle level of management looks like i suspect they'll have handlers uh from however microsoft decides to organize it uh that won't necessarily have uh, final say, uh, they'll have kind of quasi final say subject to consent, uh, of the overmind as it were. Uh, and so I, I think what you'll get is probably Microsoft internal folks, uh, and perhaps some, uh, promotions, uh, from within at the various entities that make up Activision Blizzard. We say Activision Blizzard, but it's actually a series of different developers. Right. Um, and in, in fact, I yeah. think, I think the current head of Blizzard, Mike Ibarra, is ex of Microsoft, right? So, I mean, right. th- that, that'll yeah. be an interesting coming home reunion already. Yeah, I've been on a show with Mike and okay. uh, got to meet him briefly. And he moved away from Microsoft to go work at Blizzard. And coming back is, I would assume, and I've been asked this question as well, Hogue, I would assume that Mike Ibarra would pretty much see business as usual, still be reporting with the same people. He'd report to some people from Microsoft, but some of those teams are mostly intact when they come in and they're going to stay in their places in Canada, in France, in California. The, they're all over the place. I've dug into some of the studios. So they get to kind of treat business as usual with just new head people to report to. So Mike right. Kimara may find himself again reporting back to Phil Spencer just doing uh, what like he, does. he did in the old days. Yep. <laughs> So Jeffrey Garcia, thank you for the five dollars. Says Hogue, from all the acquisitions you've seen, and you had to take a guess. What are the yeah. chances that Microsoft will successfully complete this purchase? He wants a percentage right. from you. I think you kind of t- have danced around this a little bit, but you just give you your personal take from what you've dug into. What percentage of a chance of approval or we is uh microsoft sitting at i mean i think you're at 80 80 to 90 uh percent chance of it going through i you could go as low as 70 uh but that also incorporates the concept that you could have some kind of concession uh, right part of the process is not just they come in and block you is that they ask for something yes uh, or no could, right yeah that could be you're not going to buy this part it's going to go off to a third party or uh you promise that this does. This isn't the kind of thing the FTC usually does, but you promise that Call of Duty will be on Sony. Um, that, <laughs> that, that sounds that so insane. Of, yeah. Well, but that's, those are the concessions, right? If you if you if you try to imagine the scenario where the FTC cares about that, it's because you're trying to monopolize a software as a service model, uh, and and you yeah. want to avoid that as a competition market, and so they make you do something with your content. I think that's enormously unlikely. I'm just trying to use it as a hypothetical for. They can ask you to settle specific aspects of the thing in a way that they like in order for mm-hmm. them to allow the deal through. Uh, and let me, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, Hogue. Um, could they sit down to look at this acquisition deal and look at, they'll look at numbers, they'll look at sales projections or they'll look at revenue streams, mm-hmm. right? They, they look at things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they'll look at the market concentration. Would they look at this and go, because you and I know this, right? Would they look and say, 
and here's my here's my mathematical calculation. Um, PlayStation makes about two hundred fifty million dollars a year from Call of Duty alone. That's what they clear after their take and their profit. So let's just let's pretend that number's real. Uh, could the regulatory age you know committee say, look, PlayStation makes two hundred fifty million a year when Call of Duty exists multi platform? If this deal goes through, they're going to take a significant pay cut from their regular revenue stream, and we don't like that. Is that how it works? No, I because I mean the 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 functional thing that needs to be remembered about the law is that it doesn't care about competitors it cares about competition so anything that the ftc does would be framed as it's a problem because this hurts competition in some fashion uh and simply killing a revenue source for your competitor is much more arguably pro-competitive right You're, you're, you're trying to hurt your competitor in a fashion that worked in your business model you had the cash to do it um so it's unlikely that they would frame that in that particular way doesn't mean they couldn't come around the horn for it and, and try to like, how would they, as, how could they frame that? Like worst, ca- worst case scenario is kind of what I'm looking at. Like yeah. how do they look at call of duty hurting PlayStation in a legitimate way that the regulatory agency would look at it. So we're trying to guess at the way a regulator that in my opinion would be operating probably outside the bounds of what I would recommend would do and frame it as. So we have to start mm-hmm. there. Like I, I would probably say this deal should largely go through and not have these problems. But if we pretend we're that regulator, I think what you're looking at is a situation where they claim that keeping Call of Duty off of Sony kills Sony's ability to participate in some other digital tech market. In this particular mm. way, the best way I can kind of imagine framing that is that Spartacus or whatever the heck they wind up calling their entry into software right. as a service and a recurring revenue stream is killed by content being killed available for that service. Microsoft did that. And then that's anti-competitive on broad strokes because they're monopolizing that particular market. So framing it that way, then you start to say, well, you have to make Call of Duty available for their service or something along those lines. And again, the one thing I would impress upon you and your viewers is I think that is unlikely, Uh, but that's what it would look like in practice. Okay. (laughs) It's just just so weird to think about Somebody like that worried about what Call of Duty does, but looking at the numbers, it was kind of my approach. Well, I mean, one example I can give you, right, is I don't know how familiar you are with the NVIDIA and ARM transaction, but that's currently getting blocked. And one of the things that NVIDIA has tried to promise to the FTC is we will keep a neutral open contract with CPU providers, even though we'll be the sole providers of this particular piece What's of the ARM technology. part of the NVIDIA So, So ARM makes designs chips, right? And NVIDIA it builds them. Uh, and so okay. they would have a monopoly on certain design aspects, ARM designs for everybody, including NVIDIA's competitors. So the FTC comes in and blocks them. Okay. It says you would be able to control the design of chips uh, that you otherwise want to make. And so NVIDIA says, yeah, we understand why you're concerned about that, but here's the reasons X, Y, and Z why you shouldn't be. And one of the things they said is, hey, we're, we will agree to affirmative covenants. We will make promises that we'll keep a neutral contract. We'll, we'll contract with CPU people that even are competitors to ours that kind of thing, if you'll let this deal go through. Uh, and the FTC doesn't seem inclined to do that right now. And that's a very, very short form version of those documents in that discussion. But that's the kind of thing that tries to get done in a settlement. Oh, you're going to block us? Then how, can we come to an agreement? Can we agree to okay, this? Can okay. we divest this? Can we promise this? Uh, w- can we get you to where we need you to be? Uh, and that's that's happening in an already hostile regulatory environment. I don't 
necessarily think this is going to wind up in that space, but if yeah, it does, that's what that that's what that push and pull looks like. Okay, yeah, I mean, it just doesn't seem like Call of Duty would be a bargaining chip. Maybe it's just uh, a show of good faith. I guess. Uh, Anthony Johnson with the $5 super says, I was just playing God of War on my Xbox Series X using Microsoft Edge a couple hours ago, and the gameplay was actually good. I have not tried doing that through PlayStation. Nice. Uh, interesting. The code always wins with another $5. Says the Retro Arc can play PlayStation 2 and series on Series S also with retail non-dev mode. Great stream, and thanks for the content. I'm going to check that out. Retro Arc. I've heard people talk about it. Jake Macheline says with the $5, could Sony force a biannual Call of Duty, whether Xbox wants it or not? Right now, as far as we know, and I'll let Hogue kind of uh, supplement this as well, is that PlayStation has agreements with Call of Duty until 2024. So what that means, the next three Call of Duties will definitely not be exclusive no matter what. So you've got the one coming this holiday, the one coming out the holiday that Xbox and Activision have finally sealed the deal, so to speak, and then one after that in uh, 2024, which is nuts. So his question, and I'll, I'll read that last part again. He says, could Sony force a biannual Call of Duty, whether Xbox wants it or not? Uh, no, I don't see any universe in which they can force anything. Um, even if Xbox's deal were to fall through, that's still a third-party publisher. Um, so Sony can ask for things. Uh, you're talking about contract parties, uh, and whatever contract they currently have, will get them through whatever that contract period is. Xbox has said they're going to honor those contracts outside of that. Um, Sony itself doesn't seem likely to be able to force anything. The concession regulatory process could potentially do that kind of thing. Uh, but that also seems unlikely in the long term. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, Sony won't be able to force anything when it comes to call of duty, uh, after these agreements are up, Lord Star Killer XSX01 says, "When the Activision Blizzard acquisition is completed, I look forward to having Call of Duty on Game Pass day and date." Uh, one of the other questions people are asking is, "How soon will Activision games start appearing on Game Pass?" I mean, they haven't bought them yet, so yeah. I mean, well, they could still enter into an ordinary course agreement. I don't. I don't actually know historically whether any Activision games have appeared on Game Pass before. Maybe you know the answer to that. Um, I would say I don't think any are on there. I looked for some to download to create videos, and yeah. I haven't bought a lot of the act. Uh, I bought a few, but none of them are on Game Pass. So yeah, I, the I was, question I is, like, can like they? Tony Hawk or Crash or something like that might have been on there for a period. No, of time. I don't think they were. I, okay. I just own the games. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so I, so the answer to that is Activision could enter into an ordinary course agreement with Xbox tomorrow if it were on the standard kind of terms to whatever they would ordinarily do for Game Pass. Um, after the deal gets done, uh, then you're looking at contractual commitments uh, in the same fashion, right? It's unlikely that Call of Duty, if they do have a contract with Sony, and, and we don't know the, all the specifics there, it's all behind the scenes, mm-hmm. um, has a provision in it that says you're not going to be on a competing uh, software service. We've seen that. Uh, with the exclusive that leaked out that seems real, even though we don't have full verification of that. With like those exist, like if PlayStation has like any a marketing deal with with a multiplat game, yeah. there's probably something in the legal document that says you you cannot put this game on Game Pass or uh, right. use some type of right. So if you remember, you know, we got a leaked version of this marketing agreement that seems like it was probably accurate for Resident Evil Village. 
Uh, and there, oh, yeah. were provi- yeah. there were provisions in there that said effectively uh, you won't be on another service. Didn't call out Game Pass specifically. I don't think talked about it in broader terms that would have included things like um, uh, Amazon service or Google Stadia or uh, Game Pass or anything that really had that kind of functionality. And that was the deal, right? We're giving you money to be exclusive, to be associated with our brand. You're not also going to be simultaneously associated with a different brand like Game Pass. Yeah. Um, so if that's in the Call of Duty contracts, that could be blocking those kinds of things. Um, otherwise, you know, I don't think Sony's blocking things like Crash Bandicoot on Game Pass. Uh, so that kind of thing could happen in this interim period as well. Uh, but those yeah. would all be effectively, even though it sounds weird, Activision negotiating with Microsoft uh, because it has to be ordinary course before the deal is actually done. Okay. Yeah. Lord Starkiller has uh, another one for $5. So shout out to Hoglaw and Brad Sams. And thanks, Brad Sams, for being here earlier. And Hargit Chani with the $10 says, Xbox has been about the developers. And if the studios all decide what they want, uh, all decide that they don't want to work on Call of Duty, how does that work with PlayStation? Would agreements be made to force studios to push out Call of Duty? Yes. What Hargit's talking about, yeah, is <laughs> right now they're doing Call of Duty every single year, and these other studios that work under Activision are all chiming in to help build the game. Um, so, yeah, what were you saying, Hogue? Yes, I mean, the short, I can, lawyers, we, you could tell I like long answers, but the answer <laughs> is yes. Uh, if you have a contractual commitment to a co-marketing arrangement with a product that is not yet released, uh, that document is going to have the existent commitment to actually make and release that product. Um, so it's possible that you could have some kind of backstop on that. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a, a, a large scale 34 developer revolt on, on making Call of Duty at Microsoft. But if there were, that's when you start to see a heavier hand, right? Phil's mm-hmm. indicated he doesn't want to just command and control, but at some point you're meeting your contractual commitments you're doing your obligations. And, and part of that story would also be like, okay, if you don't want to do this in this fashion, exactly, we can move it around to different developers. We can do different things with it. We're not going to have committed to, this is the sledgehammer one, probably. Um, so with there are other developers that we have that can do it, that would be great. Uh, but also you can tell the story says, we just have to get through these contracts and then we can reevaluate. Uh, well, and that are- can work with developers as well. Are the support studios contractually obligated to continue to make sure that is fulfilled, that that Call of Duty comes out in 2023 with the help of High Moon or whoever it is? It would surprise me if the internal structure of Activision had contracts between the studios that mandated. Or are they just contractors? Are they treating like High Moon Studios as a contractor? Yeah, they float. So we take High Moon, right? And full disclaimer, my brother worked at High Moon until December of last year. Uh, uh, that we take a company like that, that was supporting destiny Two, then was supporting, uh, call of duty, then was supporting Warzone. They kind of treat those separately, uh, internally as they look at those kinds of things, then they are getting moved around where Activision proper headquarters thinks their support studios can make the most sense. Uh, right. And, and so generally speaking, you wouldn't need a lawyer to draft up paperwork for that. You're, you're moving your assets around as one company to the thing that you need the most of. So when that moves over to Microsoft, you don't have binding paperwork to kind of govern those relationships. It isn't impossible to have those kinds of things, especially if you're trying to keep financial track of leased employees and things like that. But it would surprise mm-hmm. me if they were too bound up when it moves over to Microsoft to not have flexibility as to how the, the next Call of Duty gets made. Oh my gosh. I know. I just, um, I want to see those teams, 
do more, create more games, do what they've done before in the past. High Moon Studios is incredible with the Transformers, Cybertron games. But you know what Hogue and I are talking about, guys, is that with these contracts with play with uh, Call of Duty set to put out a yearly game for the next three years at least, uh, it doesn't free up those other studios to start creating something. So if High Moon were to make something new, we wouldn't see it for five to six years at the very earliest. Um, it's kind of one of the issues with this Activision merger is the amount of games these all these other studios could be making. We've got Lord Onion says, what is Xbox's relationship with the Sobo studio? Just finished Plague's Tale. Great game. Says, amazing game. Would like to see what they could do with Microsoft's money. Um, are you familiar with the Sobo? They've helped put together I, I, Flight Simulator. Oh, I didn't well. know that, actually. I, I, yeah. I played a Plague's Tale. Um, very good. But I don't know. I, I don't know of any uh, internal commercial or corporate uh, relationship there outside of working yeah. together. Yeah, I don't think there is. I think you're you're spot on. I think that they treat Asobo and um, Moon Studio that does Ori. I think oh, they yeah. kind of treat them as a great partnership for uh, pay for the milk instead of buying the cow. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of what that situation is. Well, what we used Flux, to call second party. I mean, like that's what. Sony yes, did yes, Dominic I call it. Se- yeah, I as well. Yeah. I call it second party. Yeah, um, they make exclusive games for the platform, but they're not owned. And uh, you know, hate to break it to you guys, PlayStation does that a ton. They have second party studios they work with, and then they've got uh, I don't know what you'd call Square Enix and uh, what's the other one? They got Square Enix where they're basically building games just Square for and Capcom are very much yeah. Sony, so Team Sony. Yep. Yep, yep. So uh, Lord Onion with the five dollars says, "Oh, that was that was Lord Onion." Wolf and Flux says, "Microsoft buying game companies isn't the end of the world. There are so many game developers out there, and will continue to be so." And uh, indies, huh? So another question I have for you, Hogue, is yeah. this word gets thrown around a lot that Xbox buying Activision and Bethesda is anti-consumer. Hmm. Speak on that. Well, anti-consumer. Like I said, I, I generally like transactions. I generally like seeing big companies put money into industries that I love, like gaming. Um, so I tend to not think of it that way. But I think if you wanted to frame it as anti-consumer, what you would do is you'd say, uh, before this, I used to be able to get my Elder Scrolls game or my Call of Duty game, uh, and we don't know where Call of Duty winds up, on Xbox or PlayStation, um, or even Nintendo if you're doing cloud or whatever weird things you need to do to get those games running over there. Uh, but <laughs> there's that weird um, word again. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's truth. Nintendo finds its way, but they have to do weird stuff to do it. Um, yep. yep. And uh, y- if you want to say it's anti-consumer, you say that is a world that used to exist, and when this gets done, that's a world that's no longer available to me, and it was no option of mine. Some big company spent seventy billion dollars, and now I can't play uh, the game I want to play on the system I want to play it on. And at some level, at some superficial level, that's that's correct, right? Like that, that's a certain function uh, of this. When Phil makes his tweet, he talks about Call of Duty. He doesn't talk about anything else that Activision makes. Um, and so you can expect sure. a certain amount of exclusivity and a certain amount of value to be accruing to Xbox. And that's normal for spending $70 billion. Um, but from a consumer side of things, I mean, I, I, and I think I tweeted this out, right? IGN had a poll last week that said, are you in favor of Activision yeah. games being Xbox exclusives? And I said, nobody in their right mind should answer yes to this. Like, there's no reason for a consumer to answer, yes, I'm thrilled with exclusivity. It, it functionally doesn't matter to the player. 
that your buddy can also play it on his console. Um, and you get too deep in the weeds as to what the business makes sense, how they make money, what their model means. And I think that there's a weird kind of collapse in video game commentary and fandom of wanting the company you love to make profits uh, and outside of kind of existential threats outside of the ship will be scuttled if we don't make X amount of dollars for the most part, exclusivity doesn't benefit me. Uh, Exclusivity on uh, Xbox. I can only play Starfield on Xbox. It makes no difference to me whether I could also play Starfield on my PlayStation or whether the guy that only has the PlayStation could buy, could, could play it over there. There's a certain amount of psychological benefit if you're just on that team uh, but outside of that, I look at it and say, no, I, I don't I don't care whether a game is exclusive. If your business model makes sense for it, that's great. That's great for you. I'm not Microsoft. I, if I own shares in Microsoft, it's in some index fund. I don't own separate shares. Of oh, them. OK. And, yeah. Well, I mean, this was this was <laughs> quite the this was quite the debate last week. Um, OK, because you're. Because I, I agree with you, right? And it's it's a bragging right. I get this, you don't. But sure. what if it's not as cut and dry as that? Because I am mostly an Xbox gamer, and I played on an Xbox One that had almost no games. I, I had a few third-party exclusives that weren't that great. I had the first-party exclusives were excellent. And they, you know, with four or five studios, I just wasn't getting enough games to play on my platform. Sure. Now, and I also own a PlayStation and I own a PC. I have them all right here. So <laughs> I have all the platforms. So I don't have to pick and choose. Right. But if my favorite place to play is Xbox and yeah. Phil says, I want to buy Activision. And now we know that Activision will increase their output of games instead of decreasing it because now they've got more funding. Now they've got more support technically and uh, creation wise support. Um, that as me as an Xbox gamer, I will get, this is a skipping the whole Game Pass value thing, right? Yeah. I I will get access to games at a better value and maybe at a higher clip because Xbox is going to be funding a studio that was kind of uh, making everyone make Call of Duty. So there is a reason to celebrate that, correct? Sure, sure. But, but the exclusivity doesn't make that case necessarily. It might. Right. We don't know the business models. We don't know the ROI. We don't know what they're projecting. Yeah. But there is yeah. a world and a universe that we can imagine where Microsoft could potentially make more money getting 70 percent of every sale they put on a PlayStation that has a big consumer base. Right. And we think they're probably going to run that up the flagpole with Call of Duty to see how that looks. Um, and if that did, in fact, make them more money and got you more resources and made you more games, the question is, would you care? Right. If, if non-exclusivity mm-hmm. actually got you exactly what you just said and all those resources and all those benefits, you know. But they were all multi-plat, you mean? Yeah, like if they bought Activision. Like, and... That takes something away from you. Because, again, remember, Microsoft yep. is making <laughs> Activision's entire business model is to make money putting content on platforms. If Microsoft puts Call of Duty or even Starfield, I know that's not going to happen. But if we imagine that they put it on PlayStation they're going to make money the same way ZeniMax and Activision did. They're going to sell content on this other console. And if that made them more money, if just the mathematics turned out that way and they got you all those Mm -hmm. benefits, aren't you celebrating that more? You don't get the psychological exclusivity, but again, (laughs) exclusivity is a separate question. It's the same reason why uh, they've been so, they've, you know, been so, Ah, about uh, God of War going to PC because they feel like something was taken away from them. But yes. in actuality, when Sony Santa Monica puts 
God of War on PC, they have more money and they, they, get more they can money. make more games or they have more games. fans for their product. And yeah. Sony has tried, you can argue the success of it, to, to say, hey, we're only going to do this two years out. That it's going to be exclusive to your box for two years and we're only going to put yeah. these PC games out two years old. Um, and, and so you could see them trying to balance that psychological concept, that goodwill, uh, that audience. I'm not trying to suggest it's non-existent. I'm trying to tell you I'm a corporate lawyer. I look at these things pretty analytically. And I say on a fully vacuum basis, you figure out your business model. As a consumer, I, I don't care one way or the other whether it's exclusive. You figure out what works for you. I, it's not a benefit to me for you to be exclusive to this console. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this this <laughs> this next uh, Super Chat's perfect for what we're talking about. Sweeping Vistas with the Australian Five says, Hogue, if I was a new client and we got into our first meeting, would I see a Master Chief helmet on your shelf, a God of War statue, or a Mario doll? I feel like this if is I a dating actually, show. If <laughs> I could point my camera around, and this isn't my office, this is my home office, but I uh-huh. can show you that I have a Master Chief helmet up there, and I have a quark from Ratchet and Clank over there. So, <laughs> That's awesome. I'm equal opportunity over here. Uh, but yeah, I, got, I do have my Halo helmet I'm looking at right there. I've also got some Star Wars stuff over here. But that quark, my brother worked at Insomniac um for a while uh and, and he helped make uh ratchet and clank crack in time uh and so that one's special to me uh and so i got uh, i got both sony and microsoft paraphernalia up here i got i got you covered that's awesome that's awesome uh how long is this xbox deal going to take you talked about this a bit in your in your past couple of videos about how long this deal is supposed to run until maybe july of 2023 that's the uh, outdate that they gave, right? So they what's said the, it's what's the variables? Year. Give us the variables on this. Like- Biggest variable is regulatory. Biggest variable is regulatory by far. The only reason I think you saw them mention fiscal year 23 was that so folks had a notion of the fact that Microsoft was anticipating a certain elongated process. I don't think they put a date for it when they did the statements for uh, the Zenimax transaction. The Zenimax transaction pretty much flew through. Uh, and you saw that announced in, I want to say, September and then get closed in February, something along those lines. Uh, and that, so that's a normal flying through transaction. I would expect this to be longer. Uh, so it's here announced in January. I would expect it to be calendar year 23. Um, but frankly, if the regulators decide that they want to get involved, uh, sky's the limit on the timeline. So is the, are they submitting this now and they yes. wait their turn? Or they is it going to be a now. long... Pr- yeah, they submit the stuff now, but remember that those regulators can turn around and say, we're going to need to take a deeper look at this and we're going to put together a list of information that we need. That can take time. Then it's compiling that information. Then it's, hey, we need more. Then it's compiling more information. It, that process, when they decide to take a and second disclosure look at, and, and disclosure, disclosure exactly. requests and all kinds of things like yep. that. I, oh, I think man, that it sounds so fun, Hogue. <laughs> Everybody loves law. Um. A lot of people say, oh, don't worry. The Microsoft lawyers are going to take care of that. And Phil and the other team can just worry about output and and that part. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, look, as I said, lawyers can't guarantee things. But Microsoft has some of the best. uh, And so they're working it through. And they're going to work on the regulatory stuff. Generally speaking, when you talk about creative, uh, which Phil is, even though he's also business, um, you're not going to be worrying about the FTC. You're not going to knee deep in the weeds on that kind of thing for yeah. the most part. Um, and so the lawyers are going to take care of it. Uh, regulators are going to take care of it. And we'll see where we wind up. 
but certainly Microsoft thinks it's going to go okay. Uh, they wouldn't announce it in quite the same fashion. They wouldn't have done it exactly the way they did if they didn't think it would go through in this fashion. Whether or not they're right, sure. we'll have to see. Uh, but Microsoft thinks that they they can get it through uh, as they described. Yeah, okay. Um, this has been the XC Podcast. I'm Cold Eastwood. I'm here with Hoag's Law. We've been talking about this Activision and Blizzard merger and acquisition. And I said it perfectly that yeah. time. Uh, please, uh, thank you so much for checking out the show. Please hit a like. Let's see if we can get up to 1,000 before we're done. We're wrapping up here. It's been an amazing show. Thanks so much for Brad Sands for stopping by for the first half. Hoag, you've been so awesome to talk about. And oh, you. your passion for the really like nitty gritty part of legal stuff and your knowledge and your vocabulary. Very fantastic. <laughs> but uh, to see someone who loves their work and loves some of the things that drive what brings the business to you. I really appreciate that so much. Uh, let everybody here know what you have, like how often are you cranking out videos? Sure. Uh, what's that channel's at like uh, almost 60,000 subs right now? A little bit under 55, I think. But uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're growing really fast. Um, I've been very thrilled with that. Uh, Virtual Legality is the name of my series where we talk about uh, pop culture, video games, technology, and more through the lens of business and law. We are looking at both the legal side and the business side. I do a lot of corporate messaging analysis, a lot of parsing, a lot of highlighting specific words, talking about how phraseology works for critical readers, uh, which is a lot of fun for me. Uh, but if you're interested in those kinds of things, we do put out videos. I don't want to commit to daily uh, but it does seem like we're we're, get, we're hitting <laughs> wow. three plus four plus a week um, a that are that are getting out there. Last week, I think we did nine uh, because there were so many angles to cover uh, on this particular <laughs> issue. Uh, so I, I like to say I get them out fast, uh, farm to table about three hours from when the news hits. If I've got the time, I'm also running farm a law firm at the same time, uh, and I and my clients do often have to take precedence, as you would expect uh, for ethics reasons and more. Uh, but that's virtual legality. You can find it at youtube.com slash Hoaglaw, H-O-E-G-L-A-W. Uh, and I'm also pretty active on Twitter, either marketing those videos, or otherwise getting into conversations and tussles uh, with various tussles. folks on, uh, you know, Star Wars debates, Michigan Wolverine sports, uh, and more. So if you're interested in that, I am Hoaglaw also on Twitter. Uh, and I always appreciate the follows and the subscribers and, and telling folks that I exist because uh, virtual legality had you know, 300 subscribers, uh, in late 2018. Uh, so to oh, be wow. almost, almost 55,000 here in early 2022 is uh, pretty crazy. So I'm, I'm very happy with that. Yeah. I, um, I can really appreciate that, especially when you said like to the ten tens, like where you were on your subs, because it's really important to you when you're building something and, and creating a channel. And, uh, the year before 2018 was when my channel first started moving oh, nice. and I uh, saw similar growth. It, and for people who don't run a channel or people who are trying to run a channel, like that kind of growth that Hogue is experiencing is really, really fantastic. It's so much fun. And I'm very proud of you for being in that moment. It's so, so fun. But uh, I will get your YouTube channel and your Twitter into the description, which I do after the show posts. So Perfect. people, uh, if you're watching this after the fact, I haven't even said this the whole show, but if you're here, you're watching it live on YouTube but you also have this on demand on Spotify, Google and pocket podcasts and Apple podcasts. So we are an audio only on demand as well. So you can check out the show in the video and see our lovely faces, or you can check it out on demand. And I will have all the links in those as a post and hopefully uh, some timestamps, but Hogue, 
I'm so glad we got to meet. Doing this show gives me an opportunity to get people like you on the show uh, for my benefit because people like you are so amazing to hear your expertise, but get to make a friend. And that's really cool that uh, we get to have that rapport. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, thanks, thank you for having me on. Thank you, everybody. Uh, if you want to see Hogue come back here in a little bit as some more of this develops, I would like to have him on here in a couple months as we get some stuff kind of reeling in through the acquisition. Thank you so much, everybody, for being in the chat. We've got well over 900 likes, and we had 1,700 people watching Hogue, so it was a good time. Nice. So thank you Absolutely. so much. I'm going to let him go. It's uh, it's late over there on the East Coast, so <laughs> thanks is. so much for uh, being on the show, and I'll see you guys next week, and check out my video. I think it's going up tomorrow probably. Thanks so much for everything. You guys have a good night.